Um, Frank on the Rocks saying, I'm here to tell you Alan Wake confirmed for 2024. Oh, let's go. Mm, finally. It's been 84 years. <laughs> Sorry. This, this is, is going to become that meme of the old woman. Yeah, I am the old woman. This is, this is amazing. Uh, this is awesome. Like, I can't even. That's awesome. Yeah, game game. We're competing with Game Awards tonight, I guess. So like, um, clearly we're gonna like get three hundred thousand people watching our show instead of theirs or something. Sure. Yeah. Who even watches Game Awards anymore? Bunch of squares. That's who. <laughs> <laughs> Frank, um, you're only half a square. You're a triangle. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, isosceles even. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah given um given what you were saying about leadership i think it will be interesting to see if leadership shows up as one of your core strengths or one of your lesser strengths when we actually get to looking at the hierarchy of how that turned out because right. leadership is really interesting as a strength how we look at it there I, yeah i mean that, that we might as well jump into it sir flukes a lot showed up Dropped off a uh, a tier one sub for seventeen years of support. Um, seventeen legal to go into Wisconsin bar and drink if your parent is with you. That's how old your sub is. So <laughs> is that how it works in Wisconsin? <laughs> or spouse? Or spouse? Oh, um, okay. <laughs> so all you have to do if you want to drink in Wisconsin and you're a seventeen year old is find an eighteen year old willing to marry you. Twenty one. They have to. Oh, a 21 year old. That's right. Find a 21 year old willing to marry you, jump through all of the hoops, and then go to the pub and then just hold out for a few years and yep. then get a divorce. Yep. Yep. I see a I hot... heard worse reasons to get married. Yeah. Why is there's one mosquito in my office right now? Where the fuck did you come from? It. it, it... Hotspur showing up with a thousand RDP to remind everyone the chat gang ain't nothing to mess with, and Kerniget dropping a. a, a 5,000 RDP of his own to remind everyone that chat gang ain't nothing to mess with, but he's also re-rolling all saves. So, not bad. Not bad at all. Um, but, I, you know, I see no reason not to get into it. Chat gang showing up. You're here. I am, of course, here. The magical Mr. Mephisto. The most dangerous man in Angel Sigmar. The loquacious Lich King, if you will. I'm joined by the Dr. Alex. Uh, frequent guest. Uh, well, Take over, man. You've been on here enough. How's it going, Alex? Good. Going well. Hello, everyone. I hope you're all having a good evening. Well, it's evening here in the in the U U.S. Midwest. Yeah. So for those of you who, uh, who this may be your first time tuning into a show where I'm guest starring, I am a, uh, I'm a clinical psychologist here in the United States, and I primarily do therapy and psychological assessment with adults. Um, I work a lot with anxiety, relationship issues, um, various different uh, different mental health issues that might come up. But one of the uh, unique things or one of the special things about the practice that I do is I incorporate a lot of positive psychology, which studies not just how do we help you correct symptoms or correct issues, but how do we help you lead a life that you find to be meaningful? How do we build off the positive things that we all bring to our lives, including things like our strengths. So I managed to convince uh, our, our lovely host here to let us do an episode where we talk about core strengths and relate those back to the hobby and 
how you might be able to use this to help you know make your hobby more enriching or play more to your to certain strengths that you have or find parts of the hobby that will be uh, more rewarding for you yeah so this was um so i took a survey here this is uh, it was like something like a hundred you know rank them very, very much like me not quite like me neutral and then like on the scale on the other scale and i know how much these surveys absolutely hate neutral as an answer so anytime i wasn't quite sure i i selected neutral um to keep it all fair i was just like ah sometimes i don't know not really you know click neutral boom <laughs> if they gave you neutral as an option then they plan to have people pick neutral but yep. Uh, but yes, that that is a, a mercy for those of us who are less decisive, because uh, sometimes on these types of instruments, they don't. Your options are, I like it a little, or I don't like it a little, mm-hmm. and you just don't get a middle ground. Yeah, now it, it's so weird when they, when things are set like a, such a, like such a hard binary, because mm-hmm. people are complex, and I'm sure you could like you have a professional opinion on on the on how complex humans are. Uh, or maybe not. Like I don't. I don't know. Um, but it's my my notion that he, that humans are kind of complex and binaries often are uh, misleading. You know, like the false. You know, false dichotomies mm-hmm. like uh, often crop up when you set, uh, especially assessments, as binaries. You know. So, so here mm-hmm. we are. Um, yeah. So tonight, uh, talking about like positive psychology, gonna uh, 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 as we learned from uh, the last episode you were on a little bit ago. Um, what what was that one? That was uh that was a, an acronym. Oh, PERMA. Yes, PERMA. we took a look at PERMA. Yeah, which is um a an acronym for the different components to have in your life to to enrich it and make it a life that feels like it's worth living. And right. things that we found consistently through research on happy people that when they have these things in their life, they that seems to be what helps them to be happy and to feel like they're leading a, a good life. Well, I'm curious, like, so obviously, like, uh, you know, assess a bunch of happy people, figure out, like, what's the common denominators making them happy. Has there been studies now that, like, your, your field is older, isn't it? It's, you know, been established. I know there was something about, like, it's sort of like Voltron mm-hmm. with another existing field that's much older. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm know, talking about positive psychology or psychology yeah, in general? Positive psychology specifically. Sure. Yeah, positive psychology is a bit newer. It came about a bit more, I'd have to look at exactly what the roots of it are, but I think that the 80s and the 90s are where we see the first people who start to call themselves more positive psychologists. Mm-hmm. Um, but as they were you know, starting to, to do more research, to try to back their findings and their theories with evidence, um, what they found was that they, they caught the attention of the humanistic psychology, which is a venerable branch in the field, and one that was more popular in the, the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Um, and basically, the humanistic psychologist called out positive psychology and said, yeah, your ideas are great because they're our ideas. You know, <laughs> these concepts are the same. And unlike many other branches of our field where you would have gotten into, you know, a bunch of... Turf wars, uh, basically, over the mind. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's, some, there's a phrase that I think Rex has in Mass Effect about, like, um, he doesn't say dogs, I've forget what the Vorcha maybe is the thing, but like Vorcha fighting over a stick in the ground or something like that. Yeah. Um, but instead of getting into that, uh, positive psychologist turned around and said, yeah, you're right. These are your ideas. Let's give you credit for them and let's work together. And so that created this really nice blending of, uh, of a venerable institution in our field and a newer one that was aggressively researching to prove that these concepts work and, and exist. Right on, right on. Yeah. So, so, um, and we kept, 
during that episode, and not, not that I'm like sort of self-honking, you should go back and watch every episode with Dr. Alex, by the way, if you haven't yet. These are these are some of my favorite episodes that I do, and this is this is for me, this is the, that adjacency of AOS that I absolutely adore, the, the bringing passion in the various walks of life together uh, at the great gaming table of life. Um, it, you should watch that. But we kept talking about core strengths. Like sometimes like something would come mm-hmm. up in Perma and you say, well, like when you play to your core strength or when you you know, uh, sort of fulfill a core strength here, you're going to find that you're going to enrich, et-, et cetera, et cetera. So, so now we're actually going to get into, like, the the sort of deep end on what core strengths are. And then, again, of course, I think it's important to relay it back to the hobby and uh, and, mm-hmm. and just gaming in general, too, right? You already dropped a Mass Effect uh, uh, reference. And uh, I think next mm-hmm. week, no, nope, two weeks, I have to suffer through Mass Effect 3 because everyone donated a bunch of money to Mental Health America. <laughs> To make me do so, so I am going to actively be punishing my uh, core strengths or something to play this game uh, for you. Uh, enjoy the Schadenfreude of it all. <laughs> well, you'll you'll get to play the uh, the Citadel DLC, which was fun. At least that part was enjoyable. Yeah. And actually, I liked Mass Effect Three, so don't take that to mean that I'm agreeing with you that it's it's going to be punishing for you. I think you'll enjoy it. But if if nothing else, I think probably everyone can agree that the Citadel DLC was was a good time. There's I, you get to throw a party. I'm gonna, and, and that's just not something you've gotten to do in Mass Effect. I'm going to make a like a macro for that stream that like puts up the disclaimer. Uh, it's I've moved away from the sort of like angry angry white guy with a microphone style of internet that dominated the <laughs> like dominated like early YouTube and like uh, Vimeo and all the like fucking random wild wests of the internet like. Um, sure, blip, yeah. blip TV, right? Like all that crap, like that, that sort of, you know, I'm an angry, you know, angry guy and you're going to hear all about it. I've tried to move away from that in my wiser, older age. Uh, mm-hmm. so there is going to be a button I push that says, please do not, uh, you know, like, please forgive me this one time. Uh, I try not to do this anymore, but I am the angry the angry video game nerd inside of me will come out more than perhaps anyone's used to seeing of me. You know, like, so, <laughs> I swear I'm not doing this on purpose, but someone said Mass Effect. <laughs> like I summoned Katie with the... It all, it all comes back around to Mass Effect at yeah. some point or another. It does, it does. Well, I mean, in a way, like, that game's sort of, like, indulging your your sort of psychotr- like like, sort of, like, psychological utility a little bit with like how mm-hmm. it like gives you some customization in like the the character that you want to play for instance like I like to play opposite of uh, my like top score here of honesty I like to play uh, I tend to play like stealth and, and assassin types uh, mm-hmm. in these types of RPGs because there's all this like content that is often gated off be- behind being able to talk to people or sneak places or pick locks. <laughs> and so I tend to play, like, those sorts. But in the first Mass Effect, like, you had Infiltrator. And it didn't really do much of that. Because, mm-hmm. like, because p- Shepard can do everything. Pretty right, much. Right, yeah. Like, Sh- Shepard is, you know, like, this 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 ascendant human. Um, But I still got locked into an Infiltrator playthrough. And uh, that influenced how much I absolutely despised Mass Effect 3. Uh, we'll put it that way. <laughs> so. It's although although arguably you do the most sneaking around in Mass Effect Three. 
Yeah, but then they throw a Mary Sue villain at you, and I'm like, I can't shoot this guy? I'm like, I slow down time with my brain to kill people, <laughs> and I can't shoot this one idiot out of nowhere? Like, because it's a cutscene, like, table flip instant anger. If it was the elusive man, at least he's established in the canon to be somewhat of a badass, but no, this fucking dweeb out of nowhere. <laughs> I, th I think he's in the books. I yeah, that didn't that's exist. Why he's not completely out of nowhere. <laughs> like, the the two hundred hours I played. No, no, this is not. So that's yeah, just a sample of what you guys have to look forward to in a couple weeks for my Christmas special. Is me being mad at Mass Effect, Chris Mass Effect, if you will. So <laughs> that's, it's worth it just for the pun, everyone. Yeah, if you go. don't tune in just for the pun, I don't know what you're doing here. <laughs> so so to reset it real quick, uh, the the the. Uh, this uh, institute on character, this this positive psychology thing, this test that I took. Mm -hmm. What was this test? It was identifying my my core strengths. This is the only test along these lines. What what did I what did I jump into here? So, <laughs> uh, so this institute has been um, has been studying character strengths, and and if I remember their history right, they went about it in kind of an interesting way, which was that they went to the dictionary. And they looked for terms that described what they thought were character strengths. And then they did an analysis of other, uh, either of cases or of written material. They used some method to narrow it down. And eventually they distilled these 24 different character strengths that seem to be enduring in our description of the positive traits that people have and also appear to be cross-cultural. So, just, so it's like uh, a, a so, metadata so analysis of personality characters that were like this aggregate form of, of the species. Continue, sorry. Yeah, so, yes, ex exactly. So so they took this really interesting approach by starting just with the dictionary and, call it, and grabbing all of the words that they thought captured strengths and then gradually narrowing that down based off what are the terms people actually use and what do they mean when they use those. And then which ones hold up when we start to look at other cultures? Because psychology, like like many academic disciplines, is based in sort of a, a Western and, and white and male mindset. So, you know, as they are looking at this, they want to make sure we're not just capturing strengths that are going to fit, you know, a Western, white, cis, hetero man. They're starting to look into, okay, well, does this hold if you look at more communal cultures? You know, does this hold if you're looking at... East Asian cultures or African cultures and things like that. You've just described um, half so, the podcasts I've listened to in the last month is is actually sort of dissecting and unraveling our uh, internal uh, sort of like uh, uh, implicit biases that we don't even necessarily know about regarding like how the world has been largely interpreted and, and sort of handed to us in this sort of very cishet white male, you know, way. And mm -hmm. every time you're like, you know, like, God, I'm I'm sorry. We're we're gonna we're gonna play the Soviet Union uh, uh, clip a little <laughs> early today. But like when you read Karl Marx and you're like, hey, you know, if you like Marx or hate Marx or whatever, you're still reading uh, white dudes' ideas on like labor and you know capital and all mm -hmm. that stuff. And what flavor does that put on you know uh, you know how we even look at labor to begin with, right? Like um, sure. you're also looking at individualist societies versus collectivist societies to begin with you know like uh you know like an inuit 
uh, tribe, which essentially sh there are certain Inuit tribes that that would shift between like a patriarchal society during the summer months during the hunt, and they'd shift back to a matriarchal society uh, during during the winter when the seals came in and stuff like that. And and if we looked at the world through their lens of analysis on relationships to labor, and you know, we'd probably get something else. So just mm -hmm. sort yeah, of, absolutely. I I call it running calibrations, quite frankly. It's gonna be a lot of Mass Effect tonight, everybody. You got like you just got to run calibrations every now and then on your worldview. I guess is what I'm saying, and I think it's kind of cool that this this uh, Institute on Character was running those calibrations as they were as they were doing this. So absolutely, yeah. It's um, it is always important for us to try to remember that we do have some of these implicit biases, and that's just being a human. That's not necessarily an eternal fault that we have. And the more that we're able to recognize those, the more we can start to see a wider perspective of different views. Right. Um, like, for instance, in, in psychology, we run into this when we try to codify what makes a healthy relationship. Um, we, when we talk about boundaries, we sometimes talk about enmeshed relationships, which is where the border between one person and another is kind of unclear. Hmm. Um, but the traditional view is that enmeshed relationships are bad. Um, but what we find is that that codependent, right? That's where we we hear codependent tossed around a little bit, right? Like, sure, yeah, we can see elements of that in codependency, where you know the your boundaries are now so pushed into the other person's space. Now, how you feel is now so reliant on them, it creates this really uncomfortable uh, interaction. Um, but what we an area where we aired as a field was to say enmeshed relationships are bad. But that only holds if you're approaching relationships from a very specific view, say uh, an individualistic um, view that says that people functionally should be should be independent. You take a culture where, uh, say, a family unit is really more the common unit rather than the individual. Mm -hmm. And enmeshed relationships are not only not that uncommon, but they're often healthy because everyone is kind of knows what the score is with other people and is acting in, in healthier ways. They're not taking advantage of the fact that those boundaries are more blurred. So it becomes not that enmeshed relationships are bad, which is where you come if you come from this very specific cultural view, but rather enmeshed relationships can be bad. It depends. Depends on the context. So, I, I mean, not to go too too deep into this, this tangent here, but so yeah. like you do some behavioral and relationship uh, uh, stuff in your your kind of like your day job is there you know you don't have to be specific is there a way that you kind of sort and sift through that when you're dealing with clients like how do you you know identify that like you know what, what does that even begin to look like sorry just yeah yeah absolutely or, so, or made more broadly like how do you like you're recognizing some of our our biases mm -hmm. as cultural biases you know how do you when you when you're approaching psychology like how do you like identify that and when you do or more importantly when you do identify one how do you how do you deal with that i think one of the one of the first ports of call um when looking at relationships is just about the setting of boundaries and recognizing that um it gives you more leeway when you say that there's no boundary that's right it's about what boundary is right for this person in this relationship in this moment Mm -hmm. Which makes it really frustrating when you talk about uh, fixing boundaries or moving boundaries because people are like, well, what does good boundaries look like? And the answer is, well, it depends. Mm -hmm. um, but there are certain guidelines. But like, for example. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, let's say that a client comes in and they say, you know, I feel too close to this friend. I, I'm wondering if maybe this friendship is not a healthy one. 
um, that maybe were too close or too tightly knit. Um, so one of the first things you might check in on is, well, what happens when you try to set a boundary? Um, you know, if you tell this friend, hey, I'm going out, but I'm not, you know, I'm just going to go out with these other friends. And you don't invite them, you don't say, come along, you don't specifically tell them they're not invited, but you just set kind of a loose boundary. What happens? Do they say, yeah, go have a good time? Do they ask, hey, can I come along? Or do they say, oh, when are we leaving? And then when you start to then take a step further and say, oh, actually, I'm, I'm going out, you know, and, you know, politely find a way to say, you're not actually invited to this. How do they respond, mm -hmm. you know? And so you start to look for things like that. So that's one of the first ports of call. If you set a boundary, is that respected? And is that recognized? And is that allowed? Or do you get pushback? And when you do get pushback, which isn't uncommon, when you do get pushback, what does that pushback look like? See, I'm reminded of, okay, so like um, I have this thing, as many of y'all do, I'm sure, in chat, where uh, I make exactly the amount of food I want. <laughs> like always. Uh, so I've, I've learned two things as a, as a person who's been in a committed relationship for 11 years and a person who now has two children. Um, how much I exactly want often is the wrong amount uh, because <laughs> <laughs> someone in my family, uh, usually Molly, uh, will take like some of my food, especially a sandwich. There's always one bite missing of the sandwich, so I usually have to make a sandwich and a half now just knowing she's going to eat half, like just – just a huge chunk out of one of my sandwiches. Um, I mean, she's just making sure it's not poison. Right. I mean, she's yeah, just the, looking out for yeah, you. Yeah, that's, right? that's the joke. But the thing is, is like, that's, it's like in a weird way, like in our relationship, it's actually kind of this, this intimate thing with, with Molly specifically with my kids. Like they're my kids. Of course. They're like, I love my children. Um, sure, I yeah. have my sandwich. Like I have this like internal mechanized thing where like, fucking eat food kids like you know that's just like i know that they have to eat food um but with you know there are relationships there where like you know like previous relationships were like you fucking eat my sandwich you know but this time <laughs> with molly it's just like you know she takes the bite of the sandwich it's just like i know it's it's just this thing that i expect and like i've accommodated for now because it does it's never it's it hasn't like upset me or it, it doesn't you know you know it's, it's just not like it's not a big deal with molly because it's again it's like almost this like intimate thing and some of our friends will just be like she just took a bite out of your sandwich without asking I'm just yeah you know this is just part of our relationship so sure but so yeah that that is a great example is for you in your relationship that's fine it's expected and you don't care about it it doesn't matter to either of you um and in another relationship that might be a big no-no don't touch my food if i offer you food it's fine but if i don't then you know don't do it <laughs> the, <laughs> Katie here in chat do you want some fries if you do I will order a large but if you say no I will order a medium and you get none <laughs> it, bold and, yeah. and this is setting a clear boundary with, with the person if you want the fries tell me now because you're not getting them if you say no <laughs> I like taking the, the, the concepts and applying them in a, in a spe specific way so <laughs> sure. um, and and so what we'll, what we'll see as we start to look at some of these character strengths is we see them tie into these different things and we see how potentially they might apply in different cultures. Um, like honesty, you mentioned, is a trait, is a virtue that shows up in almost every culture laws honesty as a virtue. It's hard to find one where specifically honesty is not only not mentioned as a virtue, but is specifically downplayed. Um, and But then we will look at the strength of humor, which is 
very rarely lauded as a character strength by many cultures or even by religions. You know, you don't see humor brought up specifically as as a trait that people look for, and yet it's a really enduring character strength. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. That's fantastic. Well, funny, not funny, haha. But yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Um, it is funnier because I know Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, yeah, the angels portion of the sandwich. Yeah, that that just like extra sandwich, like the 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 sandwich portion that that exists in a subliminal space. That's just <laughs> this is the part of the sandwich that belongs to the house and so it just you know when I, it, you, you don't know it could have been it could have been your wife or it could have been the house fairies and spirits yeah. that live there yeah. saying oh he's made us an offering yep yep exactly exactly you don't want to fuck with the house fairies man they'll just they, they, they'll, they'll ruin your day that's when all the fire alarms start going off for no reason you're like I just changed the batteries you've angered the fairies yeah. Yeah. That is one thing about mythology and folklore that I really wish was a thing was the idea of like the house fairy. They're yeah. like, yeah, I'll put out a bowl of honey every night if like the thing repairs my radiators or like it sweeps up all the leaves. That would be great. I would I would have a honey budget built right in. Yeah. Oh but, yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you you have to like you 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 get the bad side of it too, which is like you forget the honey and they like and they just like slash your tires. Like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> Or, you know, you wake up and there's a sculpture built out of straw that's uh, pointing at the lack of the honey dish. And you're like, okay, yeah. I get it. Noted. It sounds or, like we... or you go on vacation and instead of having to board your dog, you're like, look, I need you to come to my house and leave a dish of honey at the front door every day. Don't ask why. But if you don't, my house is going to be very untidy when I get home. <laughs> Just like a mess. Like a tornado's gone through. And none of my electronics will work can't play mass effect <laughs> so so yeah on core strengths um sort of like I talked about sort of the, the cultural side of of uh, filtering this uh down um and uh i guess where, how, where do you want to approach this the fair mercury so yeah. why don't why don't we start with your strengths and so um i have access to to some more long-form info about each of these strengths so I'll give everyone a walkthrough of kind of, you know, what are we looking at? What's our paradigm that we use when we look at these things? And then we'll look at some of the actual specific strengths. And so we, you're so, sort of, you, you mentioned something about the, the sort of top five and the bottom five. Correct. Yeah. So when we look at these strengths, the top five strengths are what we call your core strengths. They're the ones that you are most connected to. They are the areas that you would draw from most readily. Mm -hmm. And so if we put you in any given situation, we would expect you to pull from one of those five in order to try to work your way through, or or if you felt that something went well, odds are good you're drawing from one. My, my, my top five are pretty based, not going to lie. Uh, 10 out of 10, do agree. Um, honesty, bravery, creativity, judgment, and curiosity. Now, these words, like you said, they're out the dictionary, but they have sort of a more applied meaning in some senses. Sure. Yeah, we're going to find some specific meanings to these something like judgment doesn't mean what it looks like it means on the tin so because um, certainly i've had plenty of people who are like oh judgment is a strength does that mean i'm really judging of people and the answer is not the way you think well there's there's one that's like um there, there was one of the questions was like do you hold a grudge i'm like absolutely um <laughs> like, like, like like i have like a good amount of forgiveness but there's like like you know like will you like forgive and there, there were some questions that were like in a certain like the sort of less extreme version it's like but by the time you get to the point where like i feel so betrayed 
grudge held, locked in, like beyond contestation. Right. Like you, you are now the to unravel the grudge that I like. Once I feel that level of like betrayal or slighted, uh, it's eternal. Like that grudge is just like book of grudges, like full on. <laughs> like in that respect, I am a dwarf or a awesome dark elf prince seeking the crown that is properly his. Shout outs to Nuada. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, you can maybe riff on honesty or what we're talking about with core strengths uh, while I answer my son. Sure. So one of the other things I want to call out, we get our results in a hierarchy. You're ranked from 1 to 24. And so the strengths at the bottom are what we call our lesser strengths. It does not mean that these are weaknesses. It means that these are the areas that you just don't necessarily pull from. They're still strengths. You still might use them from time to time, but they're just not as close to you. You're not as uh, strongly tied or linked to those. So something to keep in mind if you do decide to go take this test on your own, and it is a free test, so by all means, go do it. Um, your lesser strengths at the bottom are not areas of weakness. They are just strengths you don't necessarily pull from. So uh, we're going to take a look at the lesser strengths too here. Now, um, with every strength, we have a couple other things that we take a look at. We have the actual description of the strength itself, and then we have under and overuse conditions. Underuse conditions are times where you fail to use the strength, and then it might start to have certain drawbacks or certain consequences. And overuse conditions are times when you over-leverage that strength, and then you start to face some drawbacks or some consequences. It doesn't cease to be a strength, but you can go too far or not far enough and then start to run into some issues along the way. So we're going to take a look at some of those too. And some of them are really, I think, quite interesting and quite relatable, the under- and overuse conditions on strengths. Is there a link to this test huh. in Discord? There is indeed a link to this survey in Discord. Um, it's mm -hmm. in, I believe, the general page. You might have to scroll up a little bit because uh, it gets spammy in there. Uh. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Like with all Discords, yeah. Yeah. Um, but without further ado, why don't we move on to honesty? Okay. Uh, all right. So, so honesty is speaking the truth and presenting oneself in a genuine and sincere way uh, without pretense and taking responsibility for your feelings and your actions. Based. That might based involve... <laughs> yeah. Uh, that might involve the courage to exercise your will or to accomplish goals in the face of opposition, and that might be external opposition or it might be internal. Um, this is a, a really complex and rich strength and while it includes the sort of obvious presenting information accurately that can be verified, um, it goes past that. It, this is people who make authentic statements, who are true to themselves, and who publicly represent how they feel on the inside. This is that, like, uh, so my integrity, I feel like, uh, I, I often describe myself as honest to a fault, uh, to where, mm -hmm. like, uh, I get I will get indignant when that <laughs> that sort of, like, authenticity of mine or um if i'm one of the things i hate the most in the world is if you lie about something i have done like hold mm -hmm. me to, like i don't mind being held to like held to like standards of things that i have done it's when someone lie like i i like i get indignant like it, it's both sides so like if it's someone's presenting me as dishonest i get angry 
um, if somebody if if um, somebody is like sort of slighting or undermining something that I'm presenting, like you know, like it's just this. It's at it's at multiple levels. Like I had no when this one popped up at the top. I'm like, yep, like uh huh. <laughs> like I get in my yeah. own way with the honesty bullshit. Like something shows up on my Twitter feed, I can't help but like if it's you know some sort of you know not to confuse core principles with like back uh you know what we're talking about here but if i have like a core held belief or principle or something like that and i see something like again like i feel the need to be honest about it like i i've had to very much temper myself in this knee-jerk reaction to like be too honest <laughs> it's it's caused like relationship problems you know and i don't know if that's sure, the over yeah. the overuse that you were talking about a little bit earlier so sorry mm-hmm. Yeah, we're we're definitely going to take a look at that in a moment here, but I, I think you're right. You're capturing that. Okay. For people where honesty is one of their core strengths, it is so important to them to be authentic and to have their actions and their choices and their thoughts be represented honestly and, and accurately. Because if not, it feels so jarring. It feels so out of character. And so that that's part of what makes honesty a great corrective virtue. Um, because we feel that um, when people who are honest are in those situations that show up all the time where you have to choose between the easy thing and the right thing, people who are strong in honesty feel pulled to do the right thing because that actually reflects them and, and what they want and, and how they feel. So this is a really also a really complex strength because we play so many different roles and we're in so many different relationships. And to be fully honest all the time not necessarily the right thing to do and so learning how to apply the strength well to the point that people actually feel like they know you well they know you authentically is is quite the feat you're like describe it's funny like so I, i've got a question here but it's really funny like i i, I um I, I had to say something to like people recently regarding you know i'm not going to go into the details of the personal life aspect of it but I, I said pretty poignantly or pointedly to some of my friends, I'm like, I am the friend who's who like you don't come to if you want me to lie to you. I'm the friend you come to if you if the hard truth is going to like be what you need to hear. And I'm like, so like a lot of my like good close friends, that's one of the things that in, endears me to them or that they find endearing about me, I, I find. But the people I sometimes have, like, friction with in relationships are the ones who do want me to just undermine that a little bit. And, like, and learning to myself temper it some in now 36 years old is has been one of my great struggles. So I find it really funny because, uh-huh. like, kind of everything you're describing is, like, I mean, this is my experience. Uh, but is this, is this, like, astrology... For psychologists, though, is this something where, like, we speak broadly and, like, people just like, oh, yeah, of course I'm honest. Of course I'm brave, like, blah, blah, blah. Or or have has there been sort of a more rigorous testing to find that, like, this is a little bit more nuanced? So so what, what we found, the reason why we narrowed it to these 24 is because they are universal. Um, there isn't people who lack honesty entirely are, you know, people who are narcissistic or sociopathic. So everyone is going to relate to some degree with all of these strengths because we all have these. Okay. The difference is how much we value them or how much we pull from them. Someone who has honesty at a very low uh, level on their hierarchy, it doesn't mean that they're a dishonest person. 
It just means that perhaps being that transparent and that open and that authentic with other people is not a space that they feel comfortable in. So they relate in other methods. I see. Um, or it or it might be that they perhaps come from a culture or even a family culture where being that open is extremely vulnerable. And so you learn that you have to communicate in less direct ways. And that's just what they've learned is adaptive and is appropriate. In some cultures, that, that that is also the case. You know, you don't necessarily say exactly what you mean because that can have consequences. Yeah, that's that's the Hemingway conversation, like where he's uh, Hemingway dialogue is always talking around what any character flippin' means in the scene. We call that subtext mm. as a writer, by the way. They only speak in subtext. Like, yeah. All right. Sure. Right on. Right on. Yeah. This this book would be a pamphlet if everyone actually said what they meant. <laughs> Right. I don't know. For those of you who may have been forced to read Ethan Frome in high school, uh, even though that is a short book, uh, man, could that have been summarized in five pages? <laughs> Not a fan. Yeah. Right. On. Anyway. Right on. Yeah. So, but but you're capturing a great piece here, which is that our strengths, because they can overdo it or underdo it, we often find that there are other strengths that, when we incorporate them or when we build them in, they complement one another really well. Um, so honesty, for instance, for someone who has, where being real, being who they really are is effortless, but that they often find that they're kind of blunt with others, they might need to work on developing the strength of social intelligence, which helps you with reading the room and having a better sense of how people are feeling, what kind of state they're in, uh, how to approach them or how to phrase things. So you are still able to be honest, but your social intelligence is telling you how to be honest in a way that this person will actually hear. Right, right, right. Cool. So when we look at underuse and overuse, um, underuse, some of the obvious part here is that the truth is really hard. Um, sometimes it can be really difficult to actually share what you truly feel or uh, what's really on your mind. And sometimes we can't find a softer way to express the truth. So we don't. Um, also, there are some relationships where they're actually not really built to encourage truthfulness. Think about teenagers and their parents. Those relationships may not have actually been built to have everyone say what's really on their mind, and that maintains the status quo. Mm. And that can persist you know, when everyone involved is older, too. Um, also, sometimes being honest is a very vulnerable place, and sometimes we're just not able to go there, so we just don't. We just can't access that honesty. I, uh, so recognizing these types of underused situations when we're dealing with a character strength can help us to, to better see, oh, I don't really feel great about the situation. Well, yeah, because I'm not really speaking up. I'm not really being honest about how I feel. And that sucks. And so I feel invalid or disenfranchised or like I don't have a voice. So just real quick, do you want to do like sort of my five and then do a, a, a Warhammer connecting bridge or would we like to connect honesty to connect them to like warhammer as we go along like what this might look like in the in in the game or in uh in your hobby pursuits or whatever yeah let's each one to warhammer as we go along otherwise i think we'll get to the end and, and circling back will be a bit trickier right on um so overuse i think you actually captured really well it's you you are being too blunt you are being too open with the truth you are emphasizing the brutality and being brutally honest 
Yeah. Um, I, so you don't need my honest opinion on this subject right now and like still going to it like I don't think anyone needs to hear like interjecting with my honesty like you know stuff like that mm-hmm. yeah what so yeah. what is overuse underuse what does fulfilling gameplay look like if I'm a core strength and top my number one is being honest like what is uh, I'm just I gotta rack up the sports votes obviously right like that's my validation <laughs> no what is, what is what is yeah how do I fulfill this in my gaming sense like what you know what what kind of sure. yeah because we're th- I'm thinking back to a... perma on this one right like uh you know sure. grad- gonna yeah go on there's a couple examples that I thought of here on the gaming front some people have a reputation for playing very fair and transparent and above board. Um, and to the point that they actually have developed a reputation in the community that if you get paired with so-and-so, you know you're going to have a clean game because they know their rules, they, they might even know your rules, and they're always going to be the one who's calling out intentions or um, they found really fair ways to measure things or they're making sure that the, both of you are playing the same game and everything is being handled in, in a very transparent way. Uh, uh, so that's how we might see honesty manifest on the actual game side. Yeah. Well, I mean, I th- there, that's the, um, for me, like, w- just a recent conversation today in, in Discord, um, actually, hey, was, where we were, people were talking about, like, uh, you know, as I'm going to use uh, Ty's terminology from it, uh, for it, might be a little crass, from uh, from the basement of Death War Gamers from, from Plane and Slam. He calls them dick dice. Like, not as in phallus, but like you being a dick. Uh, so like all these like bad, you know, Games Workshop dice that are like illegible, uh, EUs, like you can't use them and so on and so forth. Like, uh, I ironically liked them for a little bit. Like I, like, I'm like, these are, these are trash dice. Like I, you know, I hate them, but I ironically like, uh, like liked them for so long. I legitimately began to like them, like, because I recognized that it, you don't play with dick dice you like inflict psychic harm to your opponents with dick dice. Like it's, it's like a different axiom. Like it's, you know, dice games are fun and so on and so forth. And we were talking about dice. And one of the things that I sort of like ranted into was dice etiquette. And like there is a, for me, a dice etiquette in, in Warhammer. And I think that's maybe my honesty coming out a little bit is, you know, and playing by intent and having some dice etiquette, like giving your opponent an opportunity to see your dice rolls, rolling dice that are legible and that people can see, like things like that, giving them a moment to like look in your dice tray. If you're rolling in a dice tray, go, yup, uh-huh. Like things like that, um, telling them what you're, you're rolling for. Like I'm looking for threes and fours. Like I'm looking for twos and, you know, twos and threes, whatever that is, twos and threes with three rolls. Like, and you're, you're just being really, uh, sort of like Frank, but also, uh, developing a system to roll your dice efficiently. So like in addition to like not only being, you know, transparent and above board, um, being able to be like, okay, I'm rolling 120 skeleton dice. I keep my dice in 20 blocks. Like I grab, you know, I just grab, you know, you know, you know, grab seven of them or roll them seven times. And I'm just going along like forming systems like that to like, again, keep it like, clean and to make sure like everyone knows like what's in there and then playing by intent is the most important thing to me because the game is so wobbly you have to establish those parameters or you're just you're gonna have a bad time fast and loose guy bugs me (laughs) like like like, (laughs) there's like fast and loose guy that's like fine where like i get it like you're you're like we're you know we're both a little bit drunk blah blah blah. but there's the fast and loose guy who plays fast and loose and then questions everything i'm like you're so Mm. 
Like, I find that you, you're in this nebulous territory that I don't particularly care for. Like, I don't know. I don't know. So I think sure. that's my, I, that might be my honesty in a tabletop sense from my personal just recollection right now. So. Or absolutely. That that could be anything from setting expectations at the start of the game um, to not doing something I infamously heard of, which was painting your pink horrors blue and your blue horrors pink. <laughs> <laughs> that that would be an example of perhaps not being honest. That, yeah, you look at that is the your you your your core like your you might not have honesty in your top five. Uh, your <laughs> but but you are a consummate siege player. Right. Maybe you're so, maybe maybe less honest people play Zinch in general. I, I don't know anyone who's like that. Anyway, moving <laughs> along. Um, one one other example that I want to call out, which I thought of and I and I think maybe captures it well. Um, people who really like the things like unit markings, and they really enjoy building their diff- building their army in a way that it actually reflects the composition of that force. Mm-hmm. Um, so thinking of Space Marines as an example, you know, Space Marines that have the right unit markings, the right shoulder pads, the right color scheme that denotes this squad is from this unit, and, and Stormcast do that as well. This helmet shows that you're part of this chamber, um, and this color scheme shows that you're part of this storm host and things like that. Some people really get a kick out of that and find that's a really enjoyable part, and that would fall under honesty too. Your mm-hmm. army actually reads the way the force would be in the, in the story. These these people might also might also be kind of meticulous with like writing a fluff or fl- not necessarily like meticulous with having to do it, but if they are moved or inclined to do that, they're going to try to write a story <laughs> that has some like harmony with the game and what's going on in the world, perhaps. Or justify it in such a way that, like, yeah, this fits perfectly in the world, right? Like, something along those lines. Right. Yeah, or, like, if you're doing a a narrative event, like Animosity, you're making choices based on what you feel your actual character would do, because that's in line with them. That might speak to that, that character strength of honesty, rather than what's the optimal choice based on mechanics or what my faction might be. So, honesty doesn't... This is honesty not always meaning, like, a literal objective truth of the universe. This is a... Honesty to mean sort of like a imposition of the, like, virtue or whatever that, that you're leaning into at that given moment. So I'm... If you're role-playing that mm-hmm. animosity campaign, you're like, what would my elf army from this nation state do right now like and then you're like okay that's mm-hmm. what they would do and you're you're more jockeying for that play strategy in your animosity group than like just like trying to like min max or i mean do the more if, okay cool right right on right on i'm trying to contextualize it cool sure yeah so uh, so why don't we move on to our next strength what was the next one that we had here i am uh, so my second one is bravery which i feel like honesty and bravery this is probably where that like boneheadedness of me needing to impose my honesty on the world comes from a little bit um <laughs> so so these are two strengths that really complement each other very well because speaking the truth or speaking your truth is not always an easy thing to do and, and it's not always unopposed so bravery actually can come in really well there so so somebody so, before you go on to describing bravery someone who's yeah. got like honesty like and bravery in their top five might look or rather get fulfillment and psychological utility differently from somebody who has like honesty though not bravery in their top five right like that they're they might 
what what they're drawing utility from psychologically speaking could be a little bit different. So. Sure. Yeah. Generally speaking, if we are engaged in, in in an activity in a relationship that is in line with one of our core strengths, we're likely to feel vitalized. We're likely to feel competent. We're likely to feel like we're on solid ground and like we know, uh, like we're in character for ourselves. And it's when we start to act in ways that go against our core strengths that we now don't start to feel quite so solid. Um, or in ways that actively undermine our core strengths or go against them. Mm-hmm. Um, they may still feel good because that might mean you're tapping into into another strength. You're just not one that you've developed quite as much. Um, but if you're really feeling lost or, or at odds with yourself, you might actually be working against your own strengths. Right on, right on. So so bravery. So bravery. We're t- talking bravery is my number two here. Um, yeah. So bravery is not shrinking from threats or challenges speaking up for what's right, even if you're opposed, acting on your convictions, even if they're unpopular. And this includes physical bravery, but is not limited to it. Um, It's, again, this is kind of a corrective virtue because it's used to counteract difficulties that we all face. Um, We all face fear. We all face opposition. We all face things that try to tell us not to be who we are, not to act the way we want to, not to think or feel the way we do. And bravery as a strength says, no, I, I need to be this or I need to speak my voice or I need to have my feelings. So like if, you're, if your brain accidentally stumbles on a subject that happens to bring up ca- the ills of capitalism and you feel the need to in that moment deride it. <laughs> right. Yes. That might be the... Yes, you are, you are being, you're being brave as l'international swells in the background. You know. <laughs> So it's, it is a, a great strength that we all really value. And we, we all very quickly recognize physical bravery. You know, the firefighter charging into the burning building to, mm-hmm. to save someone. Um, but it's also psychological. Uh, it's when we face our problems in a direct way, when we admit our vulnerabilities, when we seek help from other people. Um, and it uh, goes on to be moral as a strength when we're standing up for other people who are less fortunate or can't defend themselves or advocating for groups who lack power um, to advocate for themselves. And it's not fearlessness because fear is a normal, basic human emotion. It's the ability to do what needs to be done in spite of fear. Yeah. Yeah. I've always like, I think just getting esoteric with it for a moment, I've always thought that that's what makes bravery admirable, not a lack of fear. If you had a lack of fear, what you're doing isn't necessarily as admirable. It's feeling fear, but then doing it anyway and like sort of overcoming that. That's the admirable aspect, admirable aspect of it for me, especially like when I'm writing stories and stuff. Like, express you want to show the character you're afraid, but then show them overcoming it. That's where you get the triumph, right? Like that's mm-hmm. what makes uh, you know like a, a hero's sort of arc or a protagonist's arc a lot more fulfilling than like they shall know no fear. Right, like just like oh, whatever, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, like re- really, because this morale check says they do. <laughs> so to know about that, um, it feels a little dishonest but, to me. In the in the the, <laughs> sorry, they shall know no fear except when faced with this giant fucking hive tyrant, yeah. and then they might feel a little fear. Right, right. Yeah. So, um, just like with all of our other strengths, we've got under and overuse. 
Um, so bravery comes in different forms, and some people will relate more to those forms than others. Um, someone who might be brave in when facing physical danger may not be brave enough to take an unpopular stance and face the disapproval of other people. You know, the uh, the firefighter has no problem charging into the burning building, um, but won't speak up to their own mother who keeps treating their spouse poorly. Mm. Um, so when we notice that we have these areas in which we're not really accessing our bravery, when in other areas we are quite brave, then it's important for us to challenge ourselves and say, you know, what keeps me from being able to do that? Um, it might also be that we're not really realistically evaluating the risk. And so um, we might find that we're, uh, we're not able to use that bravery because we have massively overinflated the risk. Um, or we've downplayed it, and so now we're avoiding it. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. I don't need to face it. Yeah, you're not really engaging in bravery if you're, you know, again, that the overcoming and, and the aspect of actually, like, engaging it and, you know, I, bravery is, to me, it's more active than passive uh, in my, to my mm -hmm. mind. Like, um, Absolutely. Um, spider, see, I, I know that my bravery is topping the charts here in this, but uh, I don't fuck with spiders. Um, like... <laughs> I will tolerate them in my existence and, and vicinity, but, but every spider in the world and me have an understanding. Uh, I, I sent out diplom diplomats to, like, discuss with them, and they're allowed to get no bigger than my, my boot. It's a, it's a size 11 and a half, you know, um, no bigger than my boot, or you get the squish. Um, and uh, don't be on my person, or you get the squish. And uh, from there... Uh, we can cohabitate because you kill a bunch of gnarly stuff that I'm not afraid of, but hate, if that makes sense. Mm. So, like, like you kill oh. all the mosquitoes, for instance, and they they uh, they are far more annoying than any spider has ever been. Spiders are just, you know, they're they're they're, they're scary, yo. Like they're they're creepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, I can always I mean, tell if they someone hate rent once in a while. That'd be nice. Yeah, no, I can always tell someone's done like a really great hobby. Uh, like uh, a really great like a uh, 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 hobby project, Professor Eggs is in Shacking every now and then. Uh, when they've done like a really great like Spider Fang Grotz army, because it like it <laughs> triggers the heebie-jeebies in me just a little bit. Like I'm just like, great spiders, dude. <laughs> like, like if if the knee jerk reaction is like getting bigger than my boot, reach for thing to smash, and I'm like, oh, model, <laughs> you crushed it. Okay. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Yeah, you, you really did a great job because I am very creeped out right now. <laughs> excellent. Excellent job. So, overuse of bravery, what does that look like? And then maybe, I think we got to go with the tabletop uh, analogy there sure. after that. So, so overuse of bravery um, starts to look more like foolhardiness or overconfidence. Um, you know, this tracks the line in Darkest Dungeon. Uh, overconfidence is a slow and insidious killer or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, so when we when we start to take too many risks, then we start to develop a, a sort of laxness in evaluating new potential risks. And so, when that happens, and we we are becoming more comfortable with high risk situations, that can make other people feel unsafe around us, and they might actually start to withdraw because they don't want to be near someone who is exposing themselves to risk that much. Um, it can also happen due to societal pressures or gender stereotypes. Um, you know, brave people can become adrenaline junkies who keep looking for increased level of risk to, to feel the rush that comes with it. 
Um, or they might feel like they have to put themselves into these risky situations because that's what's expected of them. There's um, a there's a sort of and, overcompensatory uh, uh, compensatory uh, altruism uh, bravery where like of course mm -hmm. I can self immolate here like I'm look at how brave I am is something I've found has been a challenge for me is like I'm I'm too willing to brave weird situ like especially social situations and stuff like that someone's being a dick yeah fine fuck them and like I'll like I will be the one to like uh not worry too much about the fo the social faux pas and like not be afraid of what others might think and like oh yeah I'm gonna tell this jerk how they how it should be and you know I never mind telling a Nazi that they deserve to be punched in the head or have a concrete uh you know milkshake poured on them like just just does it that like yeah I don't know like it's just I as we're talking here I'm learning a lot about myself I guess is what I'm saying <laughs> uh, so. So when, when we find that we have areas where we maybe overuse bravery, um, this is where you start to, again, you tap into other strengths to compensate or ameliorate it. Mm -hmm. um, so something like prudence, or which we also might call wisdom, um, or self-regulation can step in and say, do I need to take this risk? Um, do I actually need to pick this fight? Uh, is this necessary for me to do? Or am I maybe escalating a situation too much is there another way to handle this that might actually be more balanced or or less risk uh less risky for me interesting and others i think that's the other real you know big aspect sure. like, you know when my kids kids were born my willingness to get into a fisticuffs with folks significantly went down because the risk now of like not just uh you know whatever who cares what happens to me becomes like what ha what if what happens to me now harms my children you know like that right. that becomes something that goes into my personal risk assessment these days um you know when i'm yeah. when i'm feeling rather foolhardy and and you know hot uh you know like a, i don't know like yeah so yeah absolutely if something happens to me it now doesn't just affect me it affects my spouse it affects my child it affects my dog you know it's it, there's that effect there that might make you step back and say oh maybe this is too risky now. Yeah. Maybe this risk isn't worth it anymore. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so what does bravery so, look like? Oh, go ahead. You, sounds, yeah. uh, no, I, I think exactly. You're, you're taking our segue there. What does it look like in the hobby? Yeah, what does it look um, like in the hobby? I, I mean, Vince has a great quote from like the actual like painting side of things. He says, paint bravely. He says, you know, like, you know, don't be afraid to make mistakes. I think in terms of just a life ethos, you're learning when you're uncomfortable. You want to be in that little bit uncomfortable space to where you're you're thinking about it. You know, if I, you know, try to paint these models with my, like, essentially monochrome style that I've never tried before, they're either going to look awesome, uh, like the mm -hmm. Castlevania vision I have, or they're going to look garbage. But if I don't take that risk, I'm never going to, like, see if I can make something awesome. You want to be in that uncomfortable... To my mind, in hobby, you kind of want to be in that uncomfortable zone, but also gameplay i don't like I, like i want to learn something new i need to be a little bit uncomfortable so that i can and i think uncomfortable here is, is perhaps uh my colloquial way of saying like uh risking something right like i need to be there needs to be a risk to like learn or to overcome something to blah so like i think in the hobby there's a pretty cool uh, paint bravely but that's just a colloquialism what is, what's the more like refined what's the doctor's perspective on this yeah 
No, I, I think that is a great example. The idea of, of deciding that you want to paint something or model something a certain way and other people may not agree. You know, you may be picking a color combination that's not classically harmonious. I say this as someone whose favorite colors are orange and purple and unabashedly uses them in almost every army project. And I've, so got, I've got gold and purple on, on my Mephmus tree. Chris Meph tree? I don't know. Um <laughs> Fun in progress, everyone. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, working on it. It's uh, it's it's gold, which is kind of like purple, or which is kind of like orange and and purple. Mm -hmm. And then uh, those are and purple. It's dangerously lights. close to yellow, which is an inferior color to orange. It's true. But, you know, we'll it. It's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the lights are purple, uh, but they turn pink uh, uh, with the white, and it actually kind of looks pretty metal. So, big big fan oh, of the okay. big fan of the tree. Molly put it up while I was at work today, and I walked in. I'm like, what the hell is that? I love it. <laughs> 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 so shout outs to Bali. So uh, what, decorating so bravely. We're, so when we're looking at the hobbies, decorating bravely. Yes, for yeah, sure. Yeah. There, you know, you're going to see a lot of that this season. I think. Um, <laughs> I think COVID has brought out the desire to decorate bravely in it, a lot of us. I. You know, I I I used to be a real stickler for like, don't put your decor. I have one hard line. Do not put your Christmas decorations up before the 31st of, of October. And uh, the Christmas wars, uh, you know, does not need to escalate. All right. The war on Christmas will not escalate from my, uh, you know, city state. Like, you you know. Mm -hmm. um, but beyond that, I kind of don't care anymore. Like, it's just like, if you want to throw up a Christmas tree in April, sit in a bathtub eating, like, Easter eggs with your, like, Jack Skellington hockey, like, your Jack Skellington, you know, uh, jumpsuit on and a hockey mask, like, do you, boo? Like, I just, I did, time is meaningless, fight, like, just decorate, just bring joy to the world in whatever meaningful way you can, and yourself, like, just go ham. Like, it's, yeah, like, <laughs> just decorate bravely. Go, just go to town. Yeah, buy 12-foot no. skeletons, dress them up like Santa Claus. Let's go. <laughs> so certainly on the hobby side, there's a lot of room for that. Um, I think another great example that we hear is it can be really refreshing to watch children paint because they have they don't really have concepts of like what colors go together or what you should use for what. They just slap color on there because they think it looks good. And so that, I think, is another great example. Speaking of ch children, I heard oh, no, one of the reasons. So, like, children's brains are actually like really. I mean, it, you know, the human brain is the human brain kind of throughout. Like, and this notion that kids learn very, very quickly. Um, kill children have an intern. I heard that one of the reasons children earn, uh, learn so quickly is that they they're a bit more curious than adults. They haven't learned to kind of be afraid of curiosity yet, and um, they are. Um, they don't have a fear of failure as internalized as adults. So they're willing to sort of like take risks and, and, and just fail and learn stuff. Whereas like adults uh, have sort of like, they've internalized those concepts a lot more than children. And that's one of the, that's one of the things I, I, I heard recently. Maybe you can speak to that or not, but, but I feel like that ties into bravery a little bit. Like kids are just they're, they're flipping brave, man. <laughs> It, it does. Um, what you're tapping into is that there are, broadly speaking, two different mindsets towards growth that we've identified. And kids gradually learn from the adults in their lives which mindset makes more sense for them. 
Mm -hmm. Um, there's the fixed mindset and the growth oriented mindset. Um, and the growth oriented mindset is one that embraces this idea of bravery, that it's okay to fail, that failure in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. As long as you're using it to learn and to readjust and reevaluate from there, run calibration. Um, it's not right. It's, <laughs> it's not the outcome that actually is all that important. It's the growth that takes place in the process. Um, with the idea that, you know, you'll, you'll continue, you might continue working to get there to the outcome you need in the end. You know, it's not like you, you abandon it. It's just that the focus is always on your growth. Mm -hmm. And so I think that captures that idea there. Um, the fixed mindset is different. It's more focused on the outcome. And actually you, you wind up seeing more, more traces of fear show up there. Boo. But, <laughs> no. Um, um, but in terms of, of gameplay, I think a great example of bravery is being willing to ask questions of your opponent. And especially when something doesn't quite sound right, um, to be willing to say, you know, hey, what is the maximum threat range on these units? Or, you know, hey, I, I see that you're trying to do this, but I think you already, I think you ran with that unit. I don't think you can shoot now. Or, you know, I, I don't know that war scroll for sure, but I don't think that ability works that way. Mm -hmm. These are all areas where bravery can encourage you to actually ask the question. And then other strengths might help you to find the way to ask it in a way that works and is appropriate and uh, smooths over any potential issues. Hmm. Nice. So it's not just uh, going for the nine inch charge that your game hinges on and uh, charging bravely. It's not just that. It's... Uh, <laughs> there, there, there is a point where bravery does become recklessness. So keep that in mind. Uh, but it might also be someone who says, you know what, um, Gloom Spike gets not doing great in the stats. That's what I'm going to play. Mm -hmm. And like other people in my life are going to, or other people who play the game are going to tell me like, oh, no, don't, don't, don't play Gloom Spike if you want to do well at events. That's not the army for you. And instead you say, no, I'm going to do it. I like them. I want to make it work. Or, or Darkling Covens. Darkling <laughs> Covens for sure. You know, some of us keep wanting Black Dragons to be be better especially when they're ridden by sorceresses and you know we just we just don't get it and it's brave to continue playing them in the yeah. face of all that yeah you're, i you're, would say yeah yeah brave but 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 uh so you are brave but but lacking in honesty because zinch <laughs> <laughs> this is i, I don't i make I, i'm you know being humorous here like obviously the we, we've established that like these being lower doesn't mean you don't possess honesty or bravery or whatever, right? Like, right. Just, yeah, yes. Sort of the amount of sort of psychological utility you you draw from them, and maybe how much you rely on them in your your interpersonal relationships and so on and so forth. Sure. So yeah, how how close you feel to these strikes, how close they are to the surface, so to speak. Right on, right on. Um, so next up for me was creativity. Um, gotta gotta say, I was taking taking the test. Uh. I think of myself as a as an intensely creative person, but uh, some of them you could kind of see where they were going in some of the questions. I had no idea, so I was really happy to see creativity showing up in my top five. I felt like I would have my sense of identity would have been diminished if like creativity was in my bottom, <laughs> like twenty in the bottom five. So it might, it might have hit a little close to home if you were. Oh, like, um, creativity's not up there. What does that mean? Yeah, it, like I, I have a whole like crisis of like self, and I'm just like sitting there like in the shower in my Spider-Man costume with the pizza slice, crying to myself. Like it, it, it's a whole right. Thing. Not speaking from experience, that hasn't happened yet that you know of. No, no, of course not. <laughs> uh, so creativity, 
is thinking of new ways to do things. It's producing ideas or behaviors that are recognizably original. Um, it, things like novel, surprising, ingenious, or unusual are often used to describe creative people, but it is found in degrees. At one end is what we might call big C creativity. These are the great scientists, uh, poets, composers, and painters. Um, the ones who change paradigms or, or um, a whole field might gravitate around. But small c creativity is the everyday creativity and ingenuity, where people create solutions to a variety of problems that they face just in their day-to-day -day life. Um, what distinguishes creative people is not intelligence, but their general approach to situations and problems. Um, that desire to come up with those novel or unusual solutions to things. And so people who are creative often might find that other people come to them looking for help solving problems or looking for inspiration when they're trying to create something new or different. And so when they're at their best, people with this strength find that they're just making new connections and generating new ideas in ways that not only work for them, but might even be inspiring to others. Yeah, they sometimes they start a podcast about Warhammer. And... <laughs> For sure, and maybe they have segments about unusual list design. And yeah, like yeah, some some stuff like that, and and uh, yeah, who knows? Or they talk all about like the Johnny experience and gameplay all the time, and and coming up with clever ways of playing in our army and and interesting interactions and wombo combos. Yeah, yeah that tracks. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I, I'm thinking about the little C creativity, and because um, the, the big C creativity feels like obvious maybe even overblown or over over inflated a little bit in um it could feel a little bit like i guess demeaning if you are a creative person but you don't feel like you're this revolutionarily creative person um so sure. i'd like to put a little bit yeah. of focus on the little c creativity um uh, with like cooking one of the things that i absolutely adore is uh like having like three ingredients or chopped chops amazing to me like where they just, mm -hmm. they get a basket of random shit and they make a meal out of it. I find that utterly fascinating. In my house, yeah, yeah. making a meal out of like three ingredients out of nowhere, like opening up the cupboards and some of the best stuff I've ever cooked is just being like, I don't have, like, I don't want to go shopping because, you know, reasons and mm -hmm. like, I've got like... The giant deadly virus going around. Right, yeah, yeah. I'm like, you know, but I've got like, you know, I've got some like leftover like Brussels sprouts, like a little bit of balsamic, like vinegar and some like fish fillets that that i didn't like fully use i'm like boom meal look at that like and just like doing so like i find like those day-to-day -day, like problem solving things to be actually quite rewarding as you know a, a dirty creative uh it's not just in the like i wrote this great poem in fact uh i am often betrayed by my creativity on when i'm doing the big c creativity stuff uh it's big c creative creativity stuff for me doesn't pay off until the end when mm. i see the finished product and the thing like i get the reward from that uh personally it's the little stuff that like kind of keeps me going along the way because like oh. you know uh i just like shared a podcast from the first month i did this show today and i got really self-conscious about it and i'm like mm, like it's a creative thing, making a, like a show, telling a narrative, like linking these subjects together, and like it's not thought of maybe uh, out there. No, no, hang on, we're gonna be positive here. Um, I'm awesome at this, um, and it takes a lot of uh, effort and big brain energy to come up like with weird like eccentricities or, or um, uh, 
sorry, why is my brain blanking on this? Uh, adjacencies mm-hmm. between like hobby and other stuff. Like it's, I make, I make the, I make it look easy. But yeah, I still got that like, <laughs> oh man, I don't want to go back and listen to my like old podcast to know if I should share this or not. It's probably gonna suck. But yeah, the big C creativity payoffs are actually for me. They're huge. Like, I can ride the dopamine wave of finishing a story that I think is great and getting the validation mm-hmm. from others for months. Um, but it's such a, like, a big delay on getting that payoff of the creativity. It's not in just writing a sentence here, writing a paragraph here, knowing that I'm just creating something. That's not where the payoff happens. It's it's right. it's uh, those little C's sort of along the way, the little problem solving throughout the day, having a a dialogue tree that I'm having between two characters. I go to bed at night and I go, Oh crap. I know how to solve this co- the conversation waking up. And like, mm-hmm. it's those little things that are like that pay off for me, I guess more frequently, more rewardingly, uh, especially the day. Yeah. Yeah, so. Absolutely. So on that note, when we look at, at under and overuse, I think you've actually captured a few of those different moments and what it looks like maybe even when you break through some of them. So we all have a process that facilitates creativity, and sometimes we're just in a, a circumstance that doesn't allow for that, and that leads us to feel cut off. It's called late-stage capitalism. Um, right. I, I was just going to say, you know, your job is has these seasons, seasons where you work a ton, and then seasons where the work is more sparse. Yeah. And so you might have a great idea for something you want to work on. Uh, a, a story you want to work on. Or uh, a game I've wanted to plan. design for months. Yeah. Sure, or, or, or even an army you want to work on, or maybe even something you want to do around your house. But if you're working 12-hour shifts every day, you're probably not going to find a lot of time and energy for that creativity. Right, right. You might also run into situations where your creativity is off-putting to others. Um, you suggesting a new and better way to do something may implicitly send the idea that their idea or the way they've always done it isn't good enough. And They're- that social unease can be perceived and you can you can even feel it in the air as you voice those ideas a lot of friction at work in my career you know all my adult life for for stuff like that like uh because i'm not shy about what i believe and i'm gonna give shoot it straight and be honest about i have a better solution and then i'm gonna get that like tension in those situations um you know that's where when i worked as a barnes noble bookseller um uh as a as a floor manager I absolutely adored um, setting end caps and stuff like that. Like trying to, f- because I kind of got free reign on like, uh, you know, what do I think is going to sell if we do some front, we do some front facing here and stuff like that. Like getting this one little shelf that was kind of mine on like the end of uh, the new releases for uh, uh, staff picks essentially was one of my like absolute mm. favorite things is like resetting that and changing that up and, you know, really, that was rewarding for me because I didn't get a bunch of pushback on that. But saying the way we're trying to sell, you know, the membership to me is flawed. And, you know, trying to get some changes to like how we did that was always met with, you know, like uh, attrition. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And so that could very much be a situation where you feel like your creativity is stifled. Um, and it can also happen that we're. We're creative in one domain, but we don't feel creative in another. Or that, uh, you know, maybe you're you're artistically creative, but you have a really hard time finding novel ways to manage interpersonal problems or, or you know, problems at work, as you said. You know, you could plan out what that dialogue looks like if you had 
time and a computer and you're able to think through and build the character backstories. But when you're trying to navigate that conflict you just had with your friend a moment ago, it's, it's really hard. There's, um, there's also this, depending on what else you got going on in your, in your, your head space, um, your creative choice isn't actually like always a better choice, right? Like, or your creative mm-hmm. solution isn't always like necessarily better, but depending on how committed, right. you know, you become to your own ideas or whatever, like that can be, that can, that can come up with probably the more of the overuse side of things. We're like, yeah, you're being creative about it, but is this actually solving a problem? Is this actually, you know, giving you that utility? So for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, creativity can be energizing, but it can also be a source of tension for you and the people around you. Um, when you keep coming up with new ideas and new projects that can get overwhelming to the people around you who are trying to to do the follow through part and and yourself. Um, It it can be really overwhelming to yourself to like, okay, I've got this next idea and the next idea, the next idea. And they're all piling up and you're like, it becomes a three stooges trying to get through the door. Like, I don't know what to do with all these. Now, like it's just yeah you you become the meme so common that goes around twitter every now and then of all the different squirtles and the ones that are the whole row of them are your unfinished army projects and the new squirtle that they're embracing is your new army project yeah yeah exactly um fantastic so and so you we can really struggle if we keep coming up with new ideas but we lack the perseverance to see them through to the end that leaves us with a lot of loose ends and and that can be a lot of baggage that we're trying to work with and it can be really irritating when other people seem resistant to our new ideas so it's often about trying to find that sweet spot where you're you're finding ways to embrace your creativity but then you're also tempering it with other things like teamwork which might cause you to take more of a backseat in order to make sure that the whole team is able to function Disgusting. Well. <laughs> no, no. Sorry, go on, go on. <laughs> uh, but, uh, so these are, these are the examples for under and overuse. So Having people help me? See... No, no. People no, can't help me. No. no. <laughs> Gotta you do it you might have to accept that there might be a group that needs to be put before your own creative idea. Sometimes. <sighs> Sometimes gross <laughs> i think we're <laughs> later on we're gonna find one of my like really low like core strengths exactly like showed the tension i just like displayed right there <laughs> like how low was teamwork on that list again i Ooh, probably pretty, pretty low, pretty low. <laughs> 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 we were lost in the middle somewhere like oh man <laughs> it's not in the top five that's for sure um <laughs> Um, Katie, I so, feel pretty called out right now. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so thinking about thinking about the hobby side of things, you know, there's lots of areas for creativity. Well, that's one of the great things about our hobbies, all the room for creativity. But you need to be careful about, you know, trying to follow through on some of these different creative ideas that you have. Um, and also you, you may get some pushback from time to time, you know, everyone's run into or seen people run into the like, Oh, I decided to do my model this way. And someone else says, well, that's not right. You know, that's, that's incorrect. Or, um, or I don't know why you decided to do that. It looks bad. It's like, well, I thought, I think it looks good. You know, I, I think orange and purple is a great combination. And so it's about trying to make sure that you have these outlets for your creativity and that you're not perhaps being overly ambitious to the point that you can't follow through 
and that you're finding ways to balance that. You know, you might have this great idea for a total conversion, but if your team tournament that you need to have this army ready for is in two weeks, maybe just get the army done. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Uh, yeah, creativity feels like a kind of an uh, like an obvious one with, when it comes to Warhammer. I, I think it's also mm -hmm. important to highlight a little bit that creative decision making in the gameplay. Like one for me, one of the the most rewarding moments in my my tournament career was when I found when uh, I was playing against uh, when Haywo and I were playing against uh, uh, Warhammer Weekly, Vince and Tom. Uh, beating them <clears throat> at holy havoc, uh, therefore establishing ourselves as the best content creators. Um, we uh, there was a one of the secondaries was like select a unit they need to deal wounds and they kind of directly translated into like uh, uh, um, victory points. And there was we were on this table where it had this pillar and sort of alternating turns like someone elected and could throw the pillar in a direction and do a bunch of like holy damage. And uh, I was looking at, uh, you know, Tom's unit that's about to, like, do a bunch of damage to, like, you know, my uh, my Bestigore and stuff like that. And I look at the pillar, and I'm like, I'm sitting on, like, 12 points right now um, with my Bestigore having dealt damage. And I count the Bestigore, and I'm like, if I throw this pillar through my own units, uh, he can't get more than 12. Because I will have killed, I, I will have denied him that. And so I throw the pillar through my own guys, and like that creative solution to this like game-winning moment was just like that's one of the the moments that's been the most rewarding to me. It wasn't even the like the victory; it was the eureka moment of like not only like going like not only like the again the win. It was the this really high, sort of what I felt was like a highly creative solution uh, to a problem I had, which is we're about to lose this game unless. And I'm like, oh yeah, wham! And having all three people yeah. at the table look at me and just kind of like, as they saw me about to do it, like everyone's eyes lit up at a certain period in time, recognizing what I, like why I was about to do it. Vince is sharp as hell, by the way. Vince got it first. Tom was like, why would you do that? And then Vince looks over at him and Tom goes, oh. And Haywood was just like sitting there, you know, rather stoically as is his demeanor, just like, you know, giving the, the approving nod. You know, it, was, it was a great moment. Um, yeah, Haywo uh, very gently <laughs> waggled the corner of an eyebrow at you, and that's how you. Yeah, knew you had yeah, the approval. frown of approval, like. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but I, I think that is a, a fantastic example. You're right. Creative decision making, creative list building, these are things that are fantastic areas for it. And I just want to call out to continue our theme: whose pillar was that that you threw at your best award? I mean, it, it was it was a holy pillar. I don't know. <laughs> it was Zinch's pillar. Was that what it was? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just saying. This show brought to you by the Changer of Ways. Yeah, that that victory. Uh, well, I was playing Beast of Chaos that day, so like it kind of tracks a little bit. Um, it does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but, Beast but of Chaos. Absolutely. Find, finding those ways or, or creative tactics can also be that. Creative combinations, you know, recognizing that certain rules interact in certain ways that people just wouldn't expect. And all of that are great examples for, for creativity. I'm just uh, catching up on chat here. We have talked about this, the Lord Well, Christmas starts on August 31st here when the stores start selling Christmas stuff. Halloween and Thanksgiving are brief interludes in the third of the year that is Christmas. Yeah, that line's uh, really crept up. Um, like I said, uh, the Treaty of Black Friday uh, must be honored. 
if your Christmas decorations creep up on October 31st, the war on Christmas will persist and escalate from my quadrant. <laughs> I'll get all the I'll get all the uh the ug wearing scarf enthusiastic pumpkin spice drinking like October stand or like fall stands to rise up against your your uh pine needles and I don't know I guess you get cookies or something like I, I what, the, I, what... <laughs> you will you will not take Thanksgiving and fall from us you right. Christmas loving bastards yeah yeah no no the line in the sand has been drawn no. <laughs> Um, uh, so yeah. The line in the streusel topping is very clear. Yeah. So, uh, up next for me in my top five was Judgment. And you said Judgment is a little bit different from what, like, we might think. This isn't, like, being judgmental per se. This is something else, so. Correct. Judgment is critical thinking. It's being able to weigh all of the different evidence fairly think things through, and and to avoid jumping to conclusions. It also involves being open-minded and willing to change your mind in light of evidence. It makes an examined life possible, and this very much captures logical and rational thinking. Again, this is considered a corrective virtue. It corrects our tendency to think in ways that favor our current views and only seek out information that's consistent with them. It allows us to step back and try to take perspective. I think this is yeah. great as a sample size. Uh, I am um, like y'all chat gang. Obviously you see a version of me that I, I put out on the internet. It is no less me than any other version of me. You can meet me in person, so on and so forth. I'm just saying you don't have a prescriptive full on judgment of who I am, but from what I put forth on like Rantcast, um and my interactions with people within the community, I think a lot of this is playing out very prominently of like sort of what, even if, I wasn't consciously aware as I was taking this test stuff that I would put forth as my like core operating, like sort of like my like operating mechanisms. Like how often do I talk about, um, you know, keeping an open mind? I didn't know that that was part of judgment, like keeping an open mind. Mm-hmm. I'm, I have opinions that I believe very strongly, but I'm open to being wrong. And like, I, I, I like interrogating my own thoughts and, and the thoughts of others and so on and so forth. Like this is, this is making a lot of sense to me, doc. and Uh, there's two important things that we need to call out about judgment that are sort of misconceptions when you hear about this strength one is that uh, people with the strength are indecisive they're not people with judgment as a strength they weigh the evidence that's available to them and then they make a choice based on the available data they don't get into analysis paralysis unless they're overusing and over leveraging this strength they use the available data, they make the best choice they can, and if new valid or and if new good data or evidence comes along that says, actually, maybe we should do it differently, they correct course. Mm-hmm. But they are decisive. The other thing, the other misconception is that people who are strong in judgment are uncritically tolerant of all points of view, which is absolutely not true. Sometimes we get information from sources that just aren't good or aren't... Um, or aren't acting in good faith. Yeah. And I... people who are strong in judgment filter those out. Um, someone who's specific. strong in judgment is not going to take financial advice from their uncle who can't rub two pennies together on a good day. Yeah. And they're certainly not going to take relationship advice from their friend who has a string of broken relationships and every one of their exes is crazy somehow. Yeah. <laughs> but they will 
when they find the good sources, even if those sources might be contradictory to what they themselves believe or feel, they're going to remain open to good data and good evidence than when it comes from them. Just because it contradicts their way of thinking doesn't mean it's invalid. That's exactly my experience. I mean, that's pretty metal. Like, the, um, like, uh, how many times like someone will share an article and I won't, I won't even give it a second thought. Like I'll just like glance at it real quick. Like, you know, see that there's no study or there's like no sources cited and just like immediately dismiss it out of hand. But someone comes to me with like similar information, but they have sources and so on and so forth. I'll like, I'll actually humor it. You know, like mm -hmm. uh, people that I perceive as bad faith actors in a, in a discourse on Twitter, I won't even engage them. Like, I'm very good at not engaging... My Twitter's sure. actually super chill. I'm actually pretty good at not engaging some of these, like, bad faith actors or people that I don't think are are themselves too entirely open to having their, their own perspectives interrogated or, or, or judged in this sense. Like, if you're not going to be receptive to what I'm assessing and kind of giving back, if we're not going to have a conversation, then I don't... You're not worth my time either. Like, it's just... It's... There's a lot going on up there. I, I like I can't I can't spare the bandwidth for meaningless judgments. Really, it's sure. Uh, um, I and, find and I have more paralysis. Someone strong in judgment go ahead, go ahead. does that does that calculation in order to help themselves. I need to be able to be decisive in my decision making, and I can't do that if my bandwidth is being taken up by junk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mo I mean, it, Molly and our, our relationship dynamic. Like, I'm I'm the I'm the pragmatist. Like I'm, I'm rather pragmatic. Um, I'll, I get a lot more sort of derision for my, actually my creativity than my judgment. Like I, in this context, mm -hmm. like the creativity, like I ideas pile up as like this, but the judgment thing, like taking in data, looking at situations, people, relationships, and just going like, yep, yep, yep. Sometimes I feel cold and machine like in that respect, and I feel mm -hmm. like that sort of yeah. belies how, how passionate and and compassionate I am as an individual like I feel like sometimes my judgment makes me feel a little bit more robotic than than what I I, I think I am as a person um you know because it's For just because sure. it is there you are doing some shorthand math it's like you know you know how you have those math equations mm -hmm. that are just you don't even have to think about it you know what the answer is like, you know I know 10 and 10 is 20 like I don't even have to like stop and do, you, judgment feels a lot like that or at least my my relationship with when I'm sort of assessing situations, engaging whether I'm going to deal with them or, uh, you know, it, it can feel very dismissive at times too, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, For sure. And, and so what we're veering into here is overuse of judgment. And uh, so judgment works great in situations that require critical thinking or considering many points of view. But in our personal relationships, a fact-based approach can get overused or leveraged too quickly and actually leads to conflict. This um, is every, the... every girlfriend, boyfriend, or every girlfriend I've had in all my major relationships where I didn't value other people's emotions as part of the equation. And like, obviously yeah, like, for sure. and how that was, that was a source of, so I may be overusing judgment. And as I've gotten older, I've learned to maybe temper it a little bit more. Continue, continue. Sorry. No, absolutely. That captures it really well. If you jump straight to the critical thinking, you miss the emotional component and how important validating that is. Also, you miss their perspective because you're so quick to say, oh, just do this and it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And so there's often a lot that gets left behind there and it leads to friction. It leads to conflict.
So we have to temper judgment with other strengths like empathy, um, self-regulation, or curiosity, that willingness to, to want to learn more about the other person's perspective. Yeah, yeah, curiosity has been my, my crutch I've leaned on with my trying to figure out why this person thinks that way. So, like, uh, not, to, not to be too personal, Molly's rather sentimental, especially compared to me. Like, mm -hmm. I, nostalgia and sentiment, sentimentality. Like, I've got my, my moments, I've got my spots. But overall, like, you know, we're going through, like, a bunch of baby clothes. And I'm like, yeah, get rid of them, whatever. And she's like, yeah, but this is the, like, this baby clothes. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, okay, he's not going to wear it again. Like, And I just don't even process what the whatever ties that sentimentality is for her um and i've gotten better as we've gotten older i know not to just dismiss the like sentimentality outright anymore it's like i mm -hmm. i actually have taught myself to pause and like consider why she might be sentimental and just give her her time and space with it because then eventually she comes around to like her own decision making process on whatever the thing she's being mm -hmm. sentimental on and i have to cede a lot of ground to like some sentimental things that i otherwise might not um because we have a healthy relationship <laughs> compromise is part and of that good, <laughs> and good judgment is recognizing that that's not one of you being irrational that's recognizing that emotions are a part of how humans interact with the world and to not work them into the equation, that is the irrational approach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also I can definitely relate to this because my wife and I literally just had this discussion a moment before we started Brandcast when we went to go change our daughter and a, a, an adorable outfit that was our backup outfit, we realized it didn't really fit her. Oh, and we I both were kind of sad that like, oh, this has really adorable puppies and kittens on it. Yeah. And now she can't wear it anymore. Yeah. 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 No. <laughs> so, so oh, I think we've touched on overuse of judgment kind of, mm -hmm. uh, like jumping to critical thought without sort of necessarily considering, you know, other variables or, or, or other people, uh, emotions, mm -hmm. I think. Um, what's an underused amount of judgment, especially from like, you know, the, in your top, this is, this is hanging out in your top five. What did underusing judgment look like for somebody who is, you know, values judgment or whatever? Sure. So a little bit of, uh, of how the brain works here. The executive functioning part of your brain, the overall part that looks down over everything else, does critical thinking, logical thinking, long-term planning, is very susceptible to getting derailed by emotion. It's just part of how our brain works, that if any emotion builds in intensity enough, that part of your brain checks out, and the part of your brain that handles just regulating the physiology of emotion checks in. And that part of your brain does not do critical thinking. So when we're experiencing an emotion like that, especially emotions like anger or fear, the ones that have a really strong neural pathway that activate really quickly, those emotions uh, block our ability to use a strength like judgment very quickly. And so we're very likely to underuse judgment in situations where we're under the influence of a powerful emotion. We need to cool off first, and then our judgment is likely to return to us and, and help us out. Hmm. Also, things like alcohol, uh, drugs, and other substances all impair our ability to access that higher order thinking. It's actually quite vulnerable to getting derailed if you're not in a good state. So Being this is underslept is another great example. So this is the um, yeah, not well slept. Um, so the. Um... So those days where like I drink a little too much and then I wake up the next day I'm like ah oh, shit who did I who did I what Twitter did I post 
You know, I'm like, I'm like, what? Why, my why do I have 100 notifications on Twitter? Like, oh, and crap. I don't even remember opening the app yesterday. Yeah, I'm like, oh no, I should have put the breathalyzer on my on my phone. Shit, not again. Mm-hmm. Um, that that feeling that I feel because I feel particular. There are people out there who are probably just like, ah, whatever, who cares? But for me, I've undermined my own judgment in that in that situation. That's the sort of dissonance I might be feeling, or because I mean, obviously, people are complex, and there could be. But that might be an example of where my judgment. I feel like I've compromised my own judgment by allowing myself to have you know that one extra cocktail and and uh, see something on the twitters and then like go and get mad at somebody who likes the wrong sports team. And I'm like, ah, crap. Do I have to apologize to somebody? Like, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So. So when we, when we recognize that we are underusing uh, judgment, when we have these factors that are getting in the way, that's again where it's really helpful to have these other strengths that we can pull from to help us handle it. Self-regulation means you've got the coping skills and the self-knowledge to know, okay, this is a time when I'm not, my judgment is going to be impaired, so I need to correct for that, or I need to take steps to keep that from being an issue. If I'm going to, you know, be drinking today and I, I know that's something I want to do and I'm going to enjoy a cocktail, um, maybe I turn my phone off. Mm-hmm. If I'm drinking safely from the comfort of my own home or yeah. maybe I uninstall Twitter for the evening just so to make it harder for me to get into fights with strangers. on the <laughs> Now I'm feeling judged, Katie. Um, but when um, it comes... <laughs> I'm feeling called out. No, um, go on. But when it comes to our hobby, we can see judgment in so many different areas. It ranges from um, being able to do the math in your head about the odds of something being successful on the table. You know, what are the odds of me making that charge? And is it worth me moving my unit there to try to do that? Um, But it also comes in other things like knowing that, uh, you know, building knowledge of different techniques and how does that work here? Um, and it's also in knowing how to read some of the people that you're interacting with. You know, judgment might help you learn that Gore are a terrible unit in Beasts of Chaos. Gore, not um, Gore and Vestigore. Those two have their role. Gore yeah, they're, they're both great. Yeah. yeah, they're just in the in-between space. They don't really like... They're not cheap enough to be total, like, charcoal for the barbecue. Um, and they're not good enough mm-hmm. to be a unit I want to play to like take objectives and fight stuff. So they're just in that in-between space. Sure. Um, I've got cheaper chaff and I've got fightier stuff. And so they're just blah. Yeah. Uh, so my judgment, helps my judgment is why I can't stand gore. I understand <laughs> now every, like I'm, I'm a pretty like, I, I know I'm like death, like, you know, pretty, pretty forward kind of guy. Um, you know, they're, it's the forever home. They're my main armies. Uh, um, but like I, I, my passion, do not allow that to undermine my passion for, for how much, uh, I, like I love Beast of Chaos, but amid the, the Beast of Chaos community, I just, I'm utterly dismissive of gore themselves. And it's now made sense. <laughs> and other Beast of Chaos players like them a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. And so a good part of judgment and where judgment gets tempered by other other emotions is recognizing that you having done the math and figured it out and, and using your own experience, other people's experiences have decided this unit is not good. 
Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you then turn around and shout down every single person. Yeah, just start shitting on every that. piece of chaos player that I like. I absolutely adore in this community. Like, like I just no. you know, Gore suck ass and like get, get, get fucked. Like, don't do that. In other words, like I've I've implored uh, uh employed like a broader judgment to recognize people's emotions and that they are invested in other aspects of it, and that's why they like them and so on and so forth. So I've I've right. learned better. Like I I think my. My judgment's gotten better as I've gotten older. I think that's that's kind of a truism regarding most people. Um, but, like, for me, I've had to make a conscious effort because I do have this sort of, Im- like, I, I, this impulsive or, I guess, uh, what a dismissive judgment when it comes to mm-hmm. some stuff. And I've, I've had to, you know, not wanting to yuck people's yum as a conscious effort because I have judged things as unworthy or not worth my time or whatever. And... I, you know, to not do that as much, and especially in this game in Age of Sigmar, one of the things I've focused on the most is, like, other people's passions. The moment I I brought that into, like, sort of the equations I run, the, the you know, these these uh, beautiful Mindian uh, maths that your brain just kind of does on its own, um, about whether I'm going to engage with this or do whatever, I've recognized, like, if I see someone's passion for the thing, like, I weight that pretty heavily. And the same thing with Molly in the clothes, mm-hmm. like, seeing her passion for this, like... Adding that into my judgment has been uh, a great equalizer for some of my more callous behaviors, um, especially in ho- oh. the hobby. Like, you know, recognizing people like love stuff differently, you know, and go, yeah. Absolutely. So we've got a, a great question in the chat here from Katie. Um, how does mental health or problems therewith affect core strength? So I want to segue quickly to tackle this one. Um mental health issues can absolutely prevent you from being able to access some of your core strengths. And also your core strengths can provide you with pathways to try to correct or, or address some of these mental health issues. Um, so a great example is bravery. If you're struggling with anxiety, ultimately one of the main things you have to do in order to overcome the anxiety long-term is to do the very thing that you're afraid of. And that is bravery is being willing to say, I'm going to go into this situation that I am uncomfortable with, that I know I'm, I'm physically going to respond to, because that's the only way I'm going to learn to deal with it or to overcome it in the long run. It takes bravery. And if bravery is not one of your core strengths, then you might then have to actively cultivate um, and build bravery and, and actually embrace that strength. And, and that might be part of how you try to address your anxiety in the long term. Uh, um, but again, just to reiterate, you know, mental health issues can prevent you getting to your strengths, but your strengths can provide you great pathways to cope better with, with those same issues. That's really interesting. It's, I, I mean, that's awesome. I mean, I think we're seeing some applied, uh, positive psychology too, right? Like this is, this would be oh. what a treatment and, and, uh, you know, your assessments with clients might look like and, and how you might get people onto some pathways to, you know, treating or, or living with whatever mental health issues they may have. Um, I, uh, Jack, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I finally uh, taken my own, uh, some of my own medicine. I, I'm going to have a mental health assessment uh, coming up on the 23rd of December. So, uh, you know, I've Great. raised money for, for Mental Health America. I know I have depression, some other issues. It's recently come to my mind that I might have ADHD. Uh, it's probable I have it. Uh, and uh, to actually have some one to work with that um it's very important to me you're on my channel we're 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 almost two hours into the show but mental health visibility has been a passion of mine 
it's why I love the the Doctor Alice episodes because I just say stuff as a guy who's aware of his own mental health issues, but to have somebody who is more knowledgeable contextualize stuff. Obviously, we're not giving advice or anything like that, but to contextualize some of these these concepts is very important to me to to kind of help people. Uh, really, from a from a stigmatization side of things, to to destigmatize mental health issues for people, and um, it took me relying on my bravery, uh, I guess, a lot to finally go. Okay, I'm gonna go talk to somebody, even as um, you know, relatively stubborn and pig-headed as I can be when it comes to to stuff. It's <laughs> I, I found myself always finding a, a good excuse to not go and get bad news, basically. Um, mm. And I finally was like, I, the risk of what next year and the next year and the next year would look like if I don't talk to somebody was beginning to outweigh my fear of getting bad news, I guess, or, um, you know, finding out worse about myself or whatever was holding me back. Um, For sure. So yeah, something I I always on on the topic of assessment or evaluations there I always uh, try to capture people is you know you're the same person you were when you walked into the room before you got any kind of diagnosis or results and if you do get results while that certainly can be disappointing and and there's a whole range of reactions we can have to that it also opens doors and that might mean being able to turn around and say, yeah, I've been dealing with ADHD for 36 years and didn't really have the tools I needed to deal with it. And now I do. Right. And this, this effort that everything that I've done here, this piece of paper I get at the end of it all, this actually lets me do new things. And that's pretty great. Yeah. Right on. Right on. Oh. Yeah. Roll that CP check. Auto pass your bravery check there. <laughs> you. Oh. Um, sure. If y'all are here, I, I hope you're getting some utility out of this and, and some validation. I mean, again, not advice, but to know that like you're you're seen, and um, there are pathways to take in life um, to to get to where you want to go. So that's why we do these awesome shows. And you all have strengths. You all have strengths. You all have core strengths. And if you are really lost and looking for how can I handle this, well, if you know what your core strengths are, you can always ask yourself. How would uh, how would a prudent person handle this? How would a person strong in self-regulation handle this situation? And then what does that look like for me? And talking about the applied positive psychology, that's a way that we use this. You know, you do a strength assessment. All right, your strength is love. And you're having difficulty managing the situation at work. What would a person strong in love do about that situation? And does that make sense for you? I'm gonna. I'm just pulling up the link here real quick to share it in in chat itself, so you don't necessarily have to go to Discord or if it's way more buried than I I realized. So if you guys want to like, if you're just curious about you know do a little self self assessment, I mean you should always go speak to a professional directly, whether it's you know if you set up a Zoom call with with a professional and so on and so forth. But but if you can start mm -hmm. that ball rolling, you know, with some some basic self assessment, um, I as a pragmatist, go ahead. And that's one of the great things about the VIA Institute in particular is you can get your free results. It does show you the hierarchy. It gives you a brief description of all your strengths. If you want more info, you can pay for it, and then they'll give you a more thorough rundown. And then that gives you something that you can uh, take with you if you decide to go and, and look into something with uh, 
with a professional. But the VA Institute has a lot of resources all on its own that you can access. Uh, did my all official rant casts end up on YouTube? Um, it sometimes some of the side ones don't get up as quickly. Um, like Decant Cast, the most recent one is waiting to go up on YouTube real quick because we had a raid happen and that thing jumped the shark way hard. Uh, so I'm trying to find a good place to edit oh, wow. it. To, yeah, I know drinking a bunch of wine and like chatting with with uh, with SJRK and how did that you know get off the rails when 120 people ended up in my in my chat out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, so that one. But all the rant casts, if it's got a number, it always ends up on YouTube and Spotify, iTunes, all, all the places you can get a podcast. So, uh, self plug. And if you happen to be watching cast. this on YouTube, uh, like, subscribe. I'm like seventy ish <laughs> uh, subs away from being at a thousand, which uh, becomes the magic number for monetization. I don't care about the monetization. That that stuff just essentially finds its way back into like mutual aid, charity so on and so forth, uh, and the pennies on the ads, I, I don't really care about that. Uh, but what does happen is I can, the TOS, the terms of service that restrict me from being able to like dual cast with Twitch and YouTube get lifted, because uh, I'm somehow more important then, uh, and I will be able to dual cast on YouTube and and Twitch, which is what I really, that's like, that's the main goal. Uh, but also my ego. Mm. I crave the validation. <laughs> Give me, feed me all the validation by by letting me know that you like that you like Radcast and, and like clicking the subscribe button. If you're already subscribed, go tell a friend and just like just force them to like to subscribe. They don't even have to watch the show, just like click the button so that like the number goes up. <laughs> so I haven't watched that decant cast, but I'm just imagining in my head that over a hundred wine nerds decide decided to raid your stream there and give yeah. strong opinions about you know, red wine blends and that, Californian versus French wines and things like that. That was right off the back of the uh, of the uh, Games Workshop, like Nazi punks fuck off post, and mm. uh, and people like there was like a, a quiet and staying on topic, and then like a moment where the show hard pivoted into politics, and it's like <laughs> I'm not the the whole thing is is saved on Twitch. I'm not shy about the stuff I say. Even the stupid shit I say and need to be held accountable to in the future when Sober Andrew or Sober Mephisto finds out about it. Um, like, I got to deal with that. That's the honesty, right? Uh, so, like, that stuff stays saved. It's just, like, YouTube itself is more of, like, a curated show. And certainly Spotify is. So, like, not having a bunch of dead air and, like, random slurred, like, rants and stuff like that just doesn't make for a good show. Uh, for transparency's sake, sure. I save. I save. Twitch has the like full vods on anything I, I basically do or say, so uh, that that mm -hmm. sticks around. But whether it makes it to YouTube or not, that's it has to be a, a show or you know. So yeah. Um. So I think we've got one more core strength, right? Yeah. So my, so so my next one is my final one is curiosity, and uh, again, this tracks. Mm -hmm. I'm a little dis. I'm not disappointed. I was happy to see kindness just getting hedged out of out of my like main core. What were the top five called again? What were your your top five? They're your the core strengths. So those are my core, core strengths. strengths. Yeah. So like mm -hmm. so those are my core strengths. Uh, kindness didn't quite make it in there, but hanging out at six, I'm a pretty benevolent individual. But curiosity is my fifth one. Um. <laughs> Some people set the uh, set the core to the top seven as well. Um, so something that I would say is don't worry too much about the rankings. If it's closer to the top, then it's something that's closer to you. 
Um, if it's something that's farther to the bottom, it's just not an area you draw from. So clearly kindness is one of your high strengths. It just didn't make it into the arbitrary cutoff that we have there. Fair enough. Um, so give me just one moment. I'm going to pull it up because I have a couple of different resources for where I keep these. Um, but curiosity is a really interesting strength. And it is the sister strength to love of learning. So where uh, love of learning captures more the deep dive, the mastery, um, wanting to really have a, a full and and robust uh, ability, like a functional knowledge of something, like a more like the functional knowledge of it or the functional application of it, perhaps like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Where where love of learning is about mastery, curiosity is about the uh, the. There we go. I was trying to find the word that was escaping me. Satisfying your intellectual whims. It's about inquisitiveness, exploration, and discovery. <laughs> and keeping our mind open to new concepts and new ideas that we might investigate more if we find them to be appealing. This is my, my jack-of-all-trades so, uh, thing that I caught. Like, I... I, I, if you're like, I want to know about crocheting. If you, if you've got a compelling enough person to tell me about crochet, crocheting, like I, like whatever it is, I, I just right. want to know it, right? And if it's awesome, I'll go like, I'll go deeper into it. But in a, on a functional level, I just, or on a basic level, I just, I just want to know everything. Like, let me know. Like, I stimulate me. Oh. <laughs> go on, go on. Absolutely. Um. So, so when we are able to really tap into into this part, this particular strength, it means we are well in touch with the areas that pique our interest, with, that we're willing and able to create the opportunities to follow through on that, that we've got the space in our lives and we've got the resources set aside to allow us to explore those things that we are curious about, and that we're able to, to do that in a way that feels sustainable and manageable, because you can go really far off the rails and you can block this up pretty readily, too. This is my YouTube hole problem, right? <laughs> That's the overuse is I get like, like, oh, man, like, I'm going to, what was it? Uh, Animorphs is like the main joke where so we're going to keep recycling the Animorphs, but it happens with a lot of other stuff. It's like, I suddenly know everything about Animorphs one day because I just, right. like, like I, just, I, I sat down in front of my computer. I was about to indulge my creativity and write a story. And for whatever reason, I went to look up one, like, name of one character in Animorphs, because I was going to make a reference or something, and 12 hours later, I have watched every video essay, every plot synopsis of every Animorphs book ever. And I'm just like, right. ask I... me anything about Animorphs. <laughs> like... uh, I... And I think many, many people in our hobby can relate to that of, like, Oh, I had that random thought about a character, and I went to the Lexicanum to check on it, and then four hours later, the sun was setting, and I knew the names and background of all eighteen of the Primarchs, and I don't even play forty k. This is so, the, that's the overuse of curiosity, right? Like that's the for, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> overindulging so, curiosity to no sort of tangible end, perhaps. Like I, I don't know what's what's the overuse from from yeah your perspective. So, so overusing curiosity, there's, there's a few different venues that this shows up in. Um, so whenever we start on a new venture or even shift our attention, there's a cost that we pay. 
And so when we spread our energy out over multiple new avenues, we're paying that introductory cost a lot, but we're not necessarily getting the payback that comes with the sustained attention or the sustained engagement. Um, and so that can be that can be an area where we overuse curiosity. We've indulged it too much. We've gone too far. We've started too many new things, but not really tapped into any of them enough to get a good payoff. Okay. okay so I might personal. I might still have some utility for how much I know about anamorphs now. Like I like because I, I went that <laughs> deep. But if I jump from anamorphs to like you know a bunch of other stuff in that same period, and I just kept going down different paths. <laughs> Because that name, like, oh, that's a Star Trek reference, and then I like have to go look up the Star Trek episode, and you know, I'm just bouncing all the way around, and you know, yeah, uh, absolutely. Or um, this so readily translates to our hobby of feeling like, oh, I want to start this army, so let me buy a bunch of boxes, and then you start building it, and then oh, that new army came out, they look really cool, let me buy a bunch of those. Mm. Um, oh, but I still haven't really built the rest of that other army or painted it yet. Um, but I'll get around to it once I finish this new thing, and so on and so forth. You know, if you weren't feeling attacked by this point in the podcast, I'm sure you are now. So we, we all go through this. That's the, that's um, so that trying... army hopping, that army rotating. We're just like, like this is this is the Doug from Two Plus Tough, like just churning every new army, right? Like, yeah, right, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, the other area where curiosity is really interesting when it's overused is interpersonally. Um, I have a, a relative now who is very well-intentioned and is very inquisitive, but the first time you meet them, it feels like they're interrogating you. Mm. And I got warned about this before I met this person, that, by the way, you know, this is just their personality, but they mean well and they're interested, so, try, so don't feel like they're intruding too much. They're not interrogating you. They're not like, you know, they're just... I, I get this and I feel this because I feel like I've done this personally i think there's also mm -hmm. a flip side to it on for my perspective is like i entertain curiosity on things that are dead ends too much especially in relationships mm -hmm. like i have this thing where i want to know how or a certain person like thinks or or, or works and like uh, this can have in terms of like haters i'm just going to broadly call people haters mm -hmm. um trying to figure out why this person hates a bunch and like trying to figure it out and then like getting to a dead end and being like they're just a hater i can't help them or anything and now i've taken on a lot of harm because i went past my own boundaries and let their vitriol you know let them basically spew their vitriol at me for like a little bit longer than i should have or you know because i was curious i just like well you know sure. why why is this person sharing this viral post i can debunk instantly like why like mm -hmm. what what happened in like why do you think that that's the way it is and i'm like and i just get curious about somebody and i let them sort of run on a little bit too long into outside of my comfort zone or um right now with the sort of trying to find that line between the 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 paradox of 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 uh you know of tolerance or the paradox of intolerance like i'm not remembering which one it's called which one in particular right yeah um but, like, trying to find that line where I'm curious enough to, like, try to, like, indulge some bad actors in in so far as to, like, kind of see if I can learn how they work so I can, like, I don't know, debunk them or change their perspective or change their mind. But then I've indulged them so long they're hurting other people, you know, like, around sure. me. 
you know, because like, yeah, yeah their absolutely. hate doesn't hurt me, but there's people around me now that are being hurt because I I was curious and I, I listened to, you know, some alt-right incel tee off for too long or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes yeah, my curiosity you, you gets fell the for the you you fell for the strategy that happens to to many people to all of us the just asking questions strategy the masking what are bad faith arguments in the form of curiosity mm -hmm. that they just want to ask some questions and get some clarifications about things that if you don't realize that's what they're doing you don't realize actually they already have foreclosed their opinion on this thing they just want to open up what would normally be an unacceptable topic. Again. Yeah, they just want to keep, go further. They just want to, right? You know, they they they're that's where I talked about like finding uh, earlier on with I think we were we were talking about a, a different core strength where recognizing that somebody's operating in bad faith and just like chopping it off right there. I'm like I can't, you know, and starting to to run the sort of the math on on those types of interactions. But sometimes my curiosity works against my judgment in that respect. So. For sure. Yeah, those are strengths that might complement one another quite well, um, but also might work at cross paths from times. Mm -hmm. Your curiosity will encourage your judgment to be open to new ideas and new perspectives. Um, but your judgment has to temper that by saying, yeah, but some perspectives aren't worth pursuing. Right, right, right. Um, I do want to add a little, I'm glad you reminded me of this, a little caveat. If you are, as we're talking through this idea of curiosity, how do you know when you're in the realm of a strength? And when are you reaching a point where actually maybe you're not, you're not in that realm anymore? Um, we're going to briefly segue and then I'll come back around to underuse of curiosity. You, you can uh, riff on your own for, for a moment on this, right? Um, sure. I've, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And chat gang, help, help, help him out here. I finally got my Twitch set up. The last uh, one I didn't have it going for. And so I couldn't listen in on the conversation and, Looked like an amateur. Molly just got back from her birthday feast. I gotta check it on her. You can riff on your own. Oh, gotcha. there we go. There we go. See, uh, how the sausage is made. I always listen to my own stream when I walk away from the guest. <laughs> I, he's right. really good at that. I've had him actually send me questions to bring up with the chat, and I'm like, how does he know? <laughs> now now they know. Do that? Now people know. Yeah. Um, so humor is a character strength that is near and dear to my heart because it's one of my core strengths. And humor is not a classic virtue that shows up in cultures or, or, or ways of moral thinking. Um, and one of the areas that we are very careful about with humor is that humor is a fantastic character strength when it builds people up. Because the purpose of humor is to lighten the load to help us cope with the, the dark and the ridiculous and the overwhelming things in our lives and to lubricate social connections between people, to build bonds with people. When humor builds people up and builds those connections and lightens the load, it is a phenomenal character strength and often one that is kind of operating in the background behind another strength. But when it tears people down, when it makes them feel bad, when it hurts them, it's not a strength. Now you're just being cruel. So something to keep in mind, whether we're talking about humor, whether we're talking about uh, curiosity, whenever we're talking about a judgment, if it's now at a point where it's actively harming someone else, you're using this to hurt someone, it's not a strength anymore. So that uh, swings us back around to that idea of curiosity. 
when someone is using what looks like curiosity to actually get you into bad faith arguments or to try to pull a fast one on you or persuade you to do something you don't really want to do or that's not in your best interest, it's not a strength anymore. It's now in the realm of uh, bad behavior. So now that we've swung back around to curiosity, for those of you who are, are waiting for that underuse, underuse of curiosity is one that a lot of us can relate to. It's when our inquisitiveness and our, our desire to learn new things gets shut off. Uh, maybe we don't have the time, we don't have the resources, or we feel blocked, we feel like we're out of ideas. And then life just starts to seem kind of bland and uninteresting. When that happens, we need to rely on other strengths to help us either recapture some of that curiosity or to free up the resources to allow opportunities for it. Um, appreciation of beauty and excellence would definitely help you start to notice new things to be curious about or self-regulation. You know, maybe being a bit more disciplined, being a bit more organized, staying on top of things better will make sure you've got the time and energy you need to actually indulge your curiosity. So, uh, like, uh, I think, uh, Katie, apparently humor is one of my core strengths. There aren't a lot of rules to comedy, but never punch down is what I consider the cardinal rule. Absolutely. I, I there, think... we, can, we can use humor to gently tease other people, but the emphasis is on gentle. And that can be a way that we gently point out to someone character flaw that's becoming active or uh, strength that they're over leveraging or underusing. Well, I, I, but if we use it to undercut them, we're being cruel. See, I, I use humor an awful lot to, uh, like, I, I have a dark sense of humor to, like, sort of take the piss out of something that's, like, sort of dour or complicated or, um, like, difficult for me to process. Like, like mm -hmm. I, I will I will go with, the, like, the dark joke about something, you know, then sometimes inappropriate, but it's, like, a self-preservational dark joke because it's, like, if I have to sure. think about the hard thing too much then it's gonna hurt like then i get hurt and so i just i like i'll go with like that's why i consider myself to have like a really bad sense of humor and i believe my humor is like smack in the middle of my course of, of my strengths here um so like it like i i know I'm, I'm not like the best humorist out there um but it's it's it really is interesting i i think not to go back already but katie you did this this is your fault um humor i feel like is is probably one of the most complex on on this list it, it, judgment seems to be a pretty pretty complicated one as well um but like humor feels mm -hmm. like rather complicated like you said like not every culture has like like codified humor as a but like you you notice it in the background of all the cultures when they're they're sort of like teasing out these these concepts um and it's just like sure i i think having an understanding of this as a core strength might help us with the discourse around humor right now. I mean, having sure. guardrails on humor boundaries, right? Like that's a pretty, pretty strong uh, psychological concept is recognizing boundaries, having boundaries, so on and so forth. Um, having boundaries sure. on humor, since this is so complicated, might be worthy. Like, I don't, I don't know, like punching down, <laughs> don't punch down seems like a pretty decent, um, uh, seems like a pretty decent boundary. Um, for me, it's maybe leaning more on my my judgment, uh, judgment curiosity side of things is asking why would you make that joke, like what is the purpose? Mm. 
So that's where I usually go. Like I don't ne- like I don't necessarily personally care for like don't punch down because I think there are exceptions where you might. Um, th- what are you you know what are you punching down at? What's that's where I go. Like why? Like I, I don't like the idea of putting mm-hmm. hard lines on people's art in general, even comedy, even if it's problematic. Um, but then on the other side, like I don't like seeing my friends get hurt and made fun of. Right. So I often I think, so the. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, finish your thought, please. But, yeah, so I often go to the why, or what's funny about this. Like, So I usually interrogate mm-hmm. the, the humor, which is probably speaking to my core strengths of you know curiosity and, and judgment, and less to like my... Because I don't have a, a, mm-hmm. a strong personal humor in my core, core values. Like, So it makes sense for how I've looked at humor all this time. Sorry, a little... Sure. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, it makes sense that for you there, you're thinking, well, let me, why does that joke either make sense or why is that joke in poor taste? And if I know that, then that helps my own sense of humor. And I think that's actually a really crucial piece. If you are using things like dark humor or gallows humor, there is very much a place for that. I mean, we see how adaptive it is for people who are in life-threatening or terrible situations yeah soldiers in, in like world really... war one and two we had some pretty interesting studies on like sort of the gallows humor and uh effects on pt uh, what was then known as shell shock now we know as ptsd right like mm-hmm. we watched like sort of humor really come out as a compensatory uh mechanism uh to sort of stave off some of the, like the the moderate cases of like what would become you know severe shell shock and like you just saw that like i've got i've heard stories when i was still doing uh some criminal justice um, training uh, education there for a while I heard stories about like cops that like sort of take on a dark sense of humor to cope with the job and like right. hum- humor feels like a very useful human I don't know if you call it an emotion or tool uh, but yeah go on sorry you've got a point in there no ab- absolutely and one of the really interesting findings um, when it came to studying overall mental health But something that has come up consistently time and time again is that when people lose their sense of humor, that signals a dramatic downturn in their overall mental health. But if they are able to maintain their sense of humor, it tends to be a sign that their coping strategies are holding and are doing all right. There you go, Katie. You're doing all right. So we see that time and time again. When the person who makes the self-deprecating jokes doesn't make the jokes anymore, Mm. they might be in trouble. And I think that idea of punching down in terms of self-deprecating humor, there's a place for that too. It's a way for you to gently call out your character flaws and to do that in a way that says to other people, here's what I'm willing to talk about openly, and here's the stuff that I'm not really willing to talk about. Here's the stuff that I can call out Here's the stuff I don't want you to call out. And so it can be a way that you actually engage in this in this subtle communication. But if you go too far with it, just like with any other strength, well, it makes you seem like you don't really like yourself very much. And then that makes it harder for people to want to connect. See, that's, that's so interesting because, like, I, I feel like I do self-deprecating humor to, like, one, humility check myself. Like, I'm trying to, like, stay humble, stay self-aware. Mm. Um, the other one is setting a boundary on like I'm joking about it, so it's okay for you to joke about it, or it's okay for you to talk about it or, or mention sure. it. Like, like I don't mind this. It kind of is the stuff that I won't joke about that, like you know, is a no-fly zone for me, right? Like it's just 
sure. like I, I mean it's it's how how telling my sense of humor is for like how social I'm a able to be about certain stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Interesting. Sorry. Um, yeah. So Katie takes full responsibility. <laughs> uh, Katie does stand up com mm -hmm. comedy, by the way. Um, she has also been on Rantcast. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, we were talking about curiosity. Um, just to kind of run us back here, you're talking about like underused curiosity. Um, did you touch mm -hmm. on like sort of seeking stimulus for your curiosity in the hobby or, or rather, uh, in general, and then we'll parlay into hobby. Yeah. So for curiosity, when it comes to the hobby, I think it's about, it's about trying to re remain open to new opportunities. There are people who experience, so love of learning is the person I'm, I'm going to call out Chuck as an example of here. How many Daughters of Cain armies has Chuck made? All of them. Chuck is love of learning. <laughs> Got it. All right. Um, or or uh, Luke in Australia, who reps Scourge Privateers forever. Yeah. Uh, I think that's uh, Cinderfall Gaming. Yep, Cinderfall Gaming. Love uh, of learning. Had a great conversation the, the, with the him. The mastery. Yeah. Yeah, last night, actually. The the mastery. The, the sticking with it to pull every benefit that you can from it. Curiosity might meet, might be more the person who um, buys all the Shadespire warbands and paints them up because they're not the army that they might usually play or the aesthetic they might usually play. I think that's a that's um, a it might healthy. Mean, that's a little bit healthier. That instead yeah. of buying like full two thousand point armies, you, you pick up uh, you're you're teasing with it for the hobby stimulus. You're just buying a Shadespire box here and there, like that. No, go on, go on. That's a eureka moment for me. Go on. Um, yeah. As opposed to, as Brendan would put it, the you know sending the message to Mini Stomp and then realizing you've made a very expensive email um, and you've bought a whole new army before you realized it. Right. Um, that's curiosity kind of unhinged and going too far. But creating those opportunities, you know, maybe setting aside some hobby budget that's for things you you might not normally do, or picking up some new paints that are a brand you've never used before, or trying to learn a new technique. Um, trying to use a new item like green stuff, airbrush, or, or other colors yeah. of stuff, you know, gray stuff or blue stuff, whatever they are. Yeah, I mixed up this little concoction for my airbrush last night. I'm finally, I've done something concrete now. I've had the airbrush for like a, a over a year now. Uh, thanks, Mars, uh, for the birthday mm -hmm. gift. Um, uh, and I finally, after a year, took my first steps towards doing something. I made a solution. I cleared out a space for it. Like, look at me taking physical steps towards towards using this new tool. Um, it's funny because no. you go on, continue. Sorry, I've, I've got a thing to. The uh, we're going to segue here. The airbrush is a phenomenal tool, and if you need tips on how to use it, I cannot recommend enough the Not Just Mecha channel on YouTube. Um, Marco, the one who does that channel, is amazing. He does fantastic work, and he's got some excellent airbrush videos. So. Uh, if you're looking for something to encourage you and help you in taking those first steps, definitely go look up Marco at Not Just Mecca. <laughs> Not doing that. Well, that's why I've got this thing sitting right next to my handy-dandy flow improver slash thinner solution. I've got the big bottle of the cleaner. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I'm mostly going to use it for prime. And one think, of but go ahead. And, you know, there's a there's a comment here of, you know, after seeing someone clean out their airbrush, they're like, no, I'm not doing that. It looks more intimidating than it is. And if you learn how to do a good, quick clean, you very rarely need to do more thorough cleans. But it's not for everyone. Don't feel like you need it. 
an airbrush. But if you're curious about one, maybe then you start setting aside the money over time, or maybe you, you borrow one from a friend who has one. You spend some time, you know, working on something together, testing it out. Um, haven't ever heard of hobby shops that have airbrushes that you can like borrow or rent, but that might even be an interesting place for some hobby stores to go into. Yeah, there you go. Um, actually, like, look at that that million dollar idea for for hobby shops out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want to, while we're on kind of the 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 line between curiosity and love of learning here, um, so I you know my core core strengths uh, and you know the fifth one is curiosity, sixth is kindness, mm-hmm. seventh is love of learning. So as we've been mm-hmm. talking through the sort of differences of the love of learning, um, I have felt my curiosity pull me towards wanting to play extra armies that I don't necessarily mm-hmm. need. But I've also noticed my love of learning kind of lock me back in place on like, I'm just going to rotate through these three armies that I like love the most. Like, and, and mm-hmm. sort of like that, that love of learning. Like I don't just want to play like soul blight grave Lords. I want one of every soul blight grave Lord sub allegiance, you know, that little bit more of the Chuck Moore thing, you know, like, Right. And, and, yeah. I I don't just want a Soulblight army. I want a Viracos army. I want my Castellai army. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like Osiarch Bone Reapers, I already know that Wave Two is rumored right now. And I'm like, uh, I've heard I've heard January. I'll believe it when I see it. I, I'm a person who tries not to have expectations uh, about anything. Expect nothing. Appreciate everything. Like is is one of my mottos. Um, and. Uh, I hope it doesn't come out January because uh, that's gonna throw a wrench in my hobby plans. Because I'm, I just know I, that that's money spent. Like next wave OBR, here we go. Like, I'm, I'm invested. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, I've I've talked before. I always borrow a little bit of your time to talk about, you know, Games Workshop. Please, at some point, release Umbraneth so that way, you know, I don't, you know, get old and retire from the hobby, still waiting for a Malarian model or, or for this faction that I've wanted for six years now um but that you know that's another example money if there's something that you think might be on the horizon or that you might be interested in just making sure that you have the opportunity and the space to do that and that might mean something like okay maybe you sell some older models because now your curiosity is leaning you towards who who knew that you actually now you really want a caradron army and you're finding that's more exciting to you than any of than some of the other projects you've got laying around I, Someone I, strong in curiosity says, I will make that leap because that will be worthwhile to me. Someone strong in love of learning says, sticking with the thing until I've really mastered it, that's where I get my value. Hmm. I've, uh, I, I had to, like, I donated some of my Slanesh. I, I had to make the decision. I was going to do this harmonious project between my Slanesh and, and Beast of Chaos. And I might come back to Slanesh mm-hmm. down the line and, and circle back around. But I'm not getting rid of my Beasts of Chaos. I just, I, I love them too much. They're, they are my second, like my home away from home. Um, but with Soulblight Gravelords and Ossiarch Bone Reapers just being like my two sides of the, living on both sides of the fence and the grass is always green and loving them so much, mm-hmm. uh, there just wasn't space in my life for also Slanesh and Beasts mm-hmm. of Chaos. So I started yeah. moving slanesh almost preemptively by donating them to like i did a little bit for this last rantathon um what i have left i'm going to put into i i just anticipate receiving some slanesh stuff uh this upcoming rantathon uh so i'm going to put in a, my remaining new inbox slanesh stuff into that that lot mm-hmm. and kind of like donate that for charitable causes um 
and that clears me out for Osir. I'm I'm bargaining with myself. That that'll allow me to have Osir mm-hmm. Barn Reapers. I think it's weird. I don't know that this necessarily feeds into curiosity, but I find with curiosity, giving yourself some space with it helps. And I I mean both mm-hmm. space in terms of physically in your in you know like uh, having a physical space to be curious. Libraries come to mind immediately, right? Like just. But then in terms of yeah. like mental and financial space, too. We don't think of curiosity costing yeah. us physical money, but in our hobby, I think it does. And so kind of avoiding some of the pitfalls of like overindulging curiosity is is having some space, right? Like it, mentally, financially, sure. physically. Um, yeah, I can I can attest to this personally whenever a new stormcast tome comes out or roughly once a year when the ghb comes out and i look at stormcast again um inevitably i have a little hobby money set aside and then i'll go on ebay and i'll buy a bunch of really cheap stormcast stuff and but it winds up being for two or three different lists i don't wind up getting all the things i need to run one of the lists and then by the time i'm even considering it i've probably moved on from stormcast again hmm so your curiosity can lead you astray. And in our hobby, which is on the expensive side, even if you're doing it in ways that make it more uh, more viable, you can overindulge in ways that aren't that helpful. And as we know, retail therapy has only a very brief benefit. The dopamine you get a is, little, yeah, yeah, you get that little, you get a little dopamine hit and it drops off really fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So try to keep options open and ways open that you can indulge and make good use of your curiosity. It is a fantastic strength that adds so much flavor and color to life. Just make sure that your wallet and your time can afford it. Right. I mean that for those of you anticipating Umbraneth or Umbraneth uh, at some point, uh, start saving your dollars. Now I, I expect they're coming this edition. Um, I, I just mentioned expect nothing, appreciate everything. So mm-hmm. I'll I'll shift my vernacular to I suspect they're coming uh, this edition and if I had to put a number on it late twenty twenty two early twenty three uh, is my uh, I, go ahead uh, it uh, I think third edition is a good bet that's what I'm hoping for I would have told you that about second edition too um, but, but I, I want to know that... so trust my judgment. <laughs> I, I try not to focus too much on what the talking heads say because I swear every time Vince talks about Umberneth, he moves them back two years. And I and I feel like he's done this to me multiple times. And it's a personal attack, see, I feel. So, so, and every time I tune into Warhammer Weekly, Umberneth moves two years. See, this is, this is the judgmental dismissal thing that I, I talked about earlier. Since Vince always says it, I have judged his input as unworthy. It's the other people <laughs> saying... It now that I judge as worthy information in the like the sort of like uh, uh, rumor mill, I'm like, oh, the people who always say the rumor milly stuff, like you can't, you can't, you can't trust mm-hmm. them, even if they're right. Like a broken clock sometimes is right twice a day, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, okay, if you say everything all the time, like any one of the like perennially online constant, like lives, you know, like. They they have to always be churning out content like there's a burden to do it at all times of the day. Like, yeah, they're going to keep saying words about the game of Warhammer. You can't necessarily trust their opinion on releases. I wouldn't... If they're always right, if they're right 95% of the time and you can map it, but but most of the time, t- the talking heads are not right. Uh, as a talking head, uh, YouTubers 
we're liars, okay? Um, <laughs> we we lie to you uh, for for the clicks and the likes and the subscribes. Don't trust us at all. Um, but no, it's it's when the people who don't normally uh, like do that kind of speculation start to do it or or have done it like once before and then they do it again and they were right the last time. That feels more worthy to me. And so mm-hmm. there's a couple people who are like starting to weigh in on Umberneth now and they're saying this edition. And uh, they're people who don't say it every time, so I start to believe them. Take a look at these hands. Uh, did we freeze up? I think Alex froze up. Hang on a second. He might have to drop the call and then I'll have to pull him back in. So while he, we wait for him to reconnect, and you can see uh, Discord here. Uh, and thanks for the Talking Heads reference. I don't know if it was on purpose, but based either way. Uh, one of the best albums, Stay in the Light. Uh, one of the best albums ever recorded. Absolutely timeless. You can listen to it. In if If aliens show up in a thousand years, you can play that Talking Heads album, and it's still it's still relevant. There he is. Boom. Got him. There we go. Wi-Fi was being iffy. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I made a Talking Heads reference, uh, which was pretty funny. Uh, it, everyone laughed. Your camera is still wigging out. Yeah, we'll see if the camera decides to come back. All right. The downside to to having one of these like easy plug and play cameras is that sometimes it just says not, nah, and there's no like options to do anything about it. Yeah, yeah, fair, fair. All right, well we'll do that there. Um, see if it comes in. Hey, there. No, uh, uh. no. You usually have to leave Discord and come back. You wanna if you wanna try that real quick. Uh, yes. Sorry, everyone. Technical difficulties. It's fine. This is the joy of doing it live. Um. <laughs> all right. Um. Go ahead and watch for him to pop back in. Um, yeah, Talking Heads will always slap. Yeah, a thousand years from now, uh, stay in the remain in the light. That album is stellar. Painting is self care and therapeutic for me. It's not the price that is the issue. Uh, it's that cleaning is a bigger hassle. Hang on. If it doesn't work this time, we'll just roll with it. Um, yeah. Every, everyone's seen enough of me for the day. It, uh, it's not that uh, the the price that is an issue. Uh, it's that cleaning is a bigger hassle. It's noisy, and I need uh, to wear a mask, not sneeze rainbows. And that messes with my calm right now. My painting station is set up in a window next to my desktop, and I'd have to hide away in a room where aerosol paint won't stick to carpets and couches. There we go. Yeah. Um, all, all of these are very fair reasons for not getting into airbrushing. So absolutely don't worry about it. I think those are all very reasonable points. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fair fair enough. So um I, I guess we, we talked about like curiosity and so on and so forth. So um I guess if people so then we have my sort of like bottom five, right? That's what we go to next. Or do we want to Yeah, so so I think what I'll, I'll do is because we are getting it's getting a little bit late, and uh, I do need to go. Yeah, uh, just relieve my wife. She's been with taking care of our, our daughter for a while here. But so let me just give sort of a, a boilerplate one, and then maybe we'll just briefly touch on some of those. Yeah, we don't have so, to do all the parallels and stuff yet. Go ahead. Sure. So our strengths that are at the bottom of our hierarchy are what we call our lesser strengths. Now, these do not cease to be strengths. These are not areas of weakness. These are the strengths that you are just not as closely linked to or not as closely related to. 
So these just wouldn't be the areas that you pull from. Um, for example, someone who has the core strength of judgment, but has a lesser strength of love, is likely to solve a problem that comes up through uh, critical thinking and rational thinking, not through leveraging their close, deep relationships uh, that they have cultivated and, and invested a lot of time into. That's just how they would likely approach a new problem. Uh, teamwork, now, teamwork at 15, not quite bottom five. Uh, thank you. There you go. That's why you have guests instead of co-hosts. That's exactly right. We were talking about the, I think it was off air, the Aries thing. Like, I just, I go this way and you either follow me or you don't. Ooh. This, uh, so you mentioned like uh, judgment and stuff like that. Love is in my bottom mm -hmm. five. And everything I talked, without even mm -hmm. checking my bottom five, uh, love being in my bottom five was that exact, maybe that exact conversation about the sentimentality with Molly, right? Where I'm just like, yeah, I'm sorry. Go on. Um, so, so love is a really interesting strength because especially if people see that love is uh, ranked kind of low, then they're like, oh God, does that mean I'm not a loving person? And that's not what it means. Love has a very specific uh, meaning here as a strength. Love is our ability to cultivate deep interpersonal relationships, ones that have a real depth of emotion and that are highly vulnerable, and that allows for some really powerful connections. So people who have love as a strength actively work to cultivate those types of relationships, and they find it rewarding to have access to those in their life. So for you, so for having love as a lesser strength, doesn't mean that you don't have those relationships or it doesn't mean you don't value them, but you maybe don't invest that time and effort into actively cultivating them because that's not how you address things that come up or that's not where necessarily what you find to be as enriching in your life. I'm, I'm working on it. I think, uh, I think, uh, humanity, we require, we need more platonic love in our life and, and, and that, mm. but, but even then, like I think of platonic love as, as like, not necessarily deeply intimate just like being able to like actually express sort of like love to people and camaraderie and and a genuine genuine care and desire to see them succeed and so on and so forth like when i say like platonic love like actually like yeah like you know I, you know having that but i feel kind of like i i do feel a little isolation uh from time like i, I feel pretty isolated mm. like yeah. as open honest as you know all these things that i am i it's it's hard for me to 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 feel truly connected to people you know and, and sure. sometimes I, th I think that's my depression working or whatever it is but yeah love like my bottom five are zest which that's something you gotta you gotta tell me what that is love mm -hmm. uh, zest love self-regulation gratitude and hope and sure. I feel like these are so. Yeah, go ahead. So feel... just to to briefly touch on those. Um, so love we talked about. Love is those deep intimate relationships. Uh, zest is approaching life with excitement and energy, um, living life as an adventure and not doing things halfway or half-heartedly. Um, and so zest is often strongly associated with an overall feeling of happiness and satisfaction. So perhaps there's a correlation there that you have, are quite low in zest and depression of all potential issues is one that you've struggled with. Well, I mean, this is, um, I mean, I feel like I just painted like a broad picture of my depression. Uh, I mean, that's, I have depression. 
and I look at all five of these being at the bottom, and I'm just like, you know, like, you talked about using our strengths to, to help with our mental health issues. Um, it feels like my uh, core, what are, so it's my core strengths, and then what's the opposite? Mm-hmm. Uh, lesser strengths. My my lesser strengths are working against me with my depression a lot of the times. Like those those times I feel utterly disconnected. Those times I feel like I, I call it my spiral or, or the abyss mm. catching me. I feel like I have a darkness in, literally in my marrow. Like it's a physical depression that that comes seeps out of my bone marrow and I can feel it in my chest and all over my body, uh, like like oh. a pressure. And uh, I feel like my. Uh, you know, I feel like these are like actively like working against that um, sometimes. Right? Yeah, th- think about uh, judgment, for instance. Judgment can be fantastic, uh, a fantastic way to address depression. It buys right into cognitive behavioral therapy. You know, what are the maladaptive beliefs you have that reinforce your depression and then use critical thinking to challenge them and embrace new healthier beliefs? This but is... it can also lead you into the overanalyzing and analysis paralysis that's also so common. Well, this this is I mean this is literally like my my approach to my my self care for for the last few years before I made the decision to finally go back in and and seek active treatment and the fear of if I end up on chemicals am I really me anymore and you know all that crazy shit mm. that I was afraid of is like recognizing like uh, I talked about like how like I can map my spiral to a pattern almost like i can recognize and that's the judgment working right like with my depression that's part of my self-care program where yes i just need somebody else helping me you know fighting in my corner right um which is hard for me to accept obviously because i this (laughs) love aspect and deep connection with other people um but like the judgment has helped me with depression when it's helped me when I have recognized that this isn't me right now, this is my depression. Well, I mean, not that this isn't me. Like, it's 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 part of who I am. Like, it's just, you know, it's fine. Um, but recognizing, like, right now the way I feel, I won't continue to feel this way because I'm just going through my, like, sort of depression cycle. And, like, I will get out of it. Maybe not tomorrow or the next day. Um, but, like, mm-hmm. in a few days, I'll have that that, like, moment of levity where the pendulum swings back the other way and then I just grab the pendulum and, and like, ride it to this, to the to the brighter side for a little bit and, and kind of hanging on there. And that's my depression working there, right? Or that's my, mm-hmm. my judgment kind of helping me with my depression there. Uh, but then there's times where uh, I'm up too late and the judgment and the curiosity, like, I'm in my own head and... I'm analyzing every little thing and and it's making it worse instead of just being in the moment sure. and being able to like yeah. just chill and exhale like nope now I'm in my head now I'm like judging everything I had this thing I did today that like I should feel like crap about and I don't deserve to be happy right now because like you wouldn't be that kind of a shit if and, and like it just goes right so sure yeah absolutely um so so this is where we it helps to understand that certain strengths are in certain families and so certain strengths complement one another or belong to certain family groups that complement one another and when certain strengths are really useful and when you might actually need to to cultivate or develop other areas like a lesser strength that might actually be more helpful for you with the challenge you're facing right now yeah so do they so go ahead 
Uh, do they change? Do your core strengths and lesser strengths shift? Do they do they change? Do they? Uh, is it hard to change them? Is it? Yeah, like what? They they absolutely can shift. Your core is likely to stay pretty stable because that's likely related to aspects of your personality and your character. And again, these are positive things that have been reinforced over time. You might modify how you approach them, or you might uh, correct for some of the under and overuse of those strengths, but your core is likely to be relatively stable. As I, I, as I, I keep using judgment as, as a really quick, easy go-to, as I've displayed with my mm -hmm. judgment, I've co course corrected for some of my overuse of my judgment, and so on and so forth, but I'm, I've never not been that guy, right? Like... I've just mm, tempered yeah. it. So. Okay, fair. All right, continue. Yeah, exactly. And I retook the test uh, uh, today just to take a look at my results. And um, humor remains in my in my core. It was two. Now it's number one. But fairness, which previously was one of my number ones, actually moved down a few ranks. Mm -hmm. um, so you might see some shift in the in the ranking, and some of that might even just be you know you answered the question slightly differently a few years later. Yeah. Um, but we'd expect your core to be relatively stable. The things below that might shift, though, and you can actively work to develop something that is uh, a strength that you feel you need or that you want. Um, let's say, take self-regulation is a, is a great example of this and one that a lot of people work with. This is my impulse uh, control, right? Like, I'm, I'm impulsive, and uh, it's very right. low on the... impulse control. Yeah, okay, that makes discipline, sense. Discipline, <laughs> forming habits, forming routine. Yeah, self-motivating, like, my whole, like, uh, I want to finish a book, but I feel like I lack motivation, too, and this is that sure. one right? that that shows that this is a lesser <laughs> for me like oh yeah oh yeah the uh, uh my curiosity of getting curious about slanesh and then just buying it because my self-regulation is low <laughs> like, <yeah. laughs> all right yeah all right um, so so when we when we identify something like that and we say you know what that strength would be really helpful if i was better connected to it then we can take steps to actively cultivate that strength. So self-regulation might be learning about um, habit formation and the, the pitfalls that everybody runs into with those and start trying to develop new habits gradually over time. Mm -hmm. um, for I had a professor who summed this up really well by saying habit formation is about starting at the thin end of the wedge and then gradually working your way up. And too many people do it the other way and tumble their way down. Mm -hmm. so if you have a strength you want to develop it's about identifying what is it what is it going to do for you and then what steps can you take to just use that more because it's just not going to be the first lens you default to that's that's those are going to be your core strengths yeah this this i can't love you talking about it like uh, that seems insurmountable to me thinking about trying to do that more makes my uh anxiety go up like mm -hmm. form deeper yeah. connections with other people and so like my anxiety like I, i'm like yeah but then i'd have to be vulnerable and then i'd have to like you know yeah and i'm like F fuck that um you know one of my <laughs> other weird mottos that probably hasn't served me a whole lot whole really well is never give people power over you which often means mm. power can mean being vulnerable with somebody because if you know my deepest darkest secrets that the ones that i like i'm truly afraid of or you know like i, I talk about my depression because i'm comfortable talking about my depression but what don't i talk you know like that sure. sort of thing. like you know the things that i'm truly insecure about the things that i you know you know my self-deprecating humor doesn't touch 
well, to be vulnerable to somebody, now they know those pressure points, and, like, that terrifies me. And, like, love seems insurmountable to, like, get out of my bottom five. But, like, yeah. but, like, self-regulation is like, yeah, I could, I could, like, work on forming some habits. Like, that's kind of one of the big things I've been trying to do these last, you know, few years where, I, where I've kind of recognized I needed to mix it. I've I wouldn't say I recognize. I'd say I finally had the time to and and financial stability to look at myself and run some some calibrations, right? Um, sure. Uh, and and so it's about recognizing what would it do for you, or what would make it important for you out of all of the strengths that you could work on or could cultivate. Why love in particular? And often we find that when we're addressing a certain issue, um, you know, this might come up in therapy when there's a, a yeah after it, that, after December twenty you third, know, and I, I talked to her, and she's like, Andrew, you need to come talk to me a lot more. I'm like, fine, right? <laughs> All right, later. Um, uh, yeah, go on. Uh, but something like like what you just said, recognizing, oh yeah, I find it really hard to be truly deeply vulnerable even with people that I trust, and that prevents me from forming some deeper bonds than I might really want, or uh, being able to leverage those relationships more often, or in ways that people encourage me to. And I'd actually really like to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd like to be able to sit down with my spouse and say, and open up a bit more about how I'm really feeling or what's really going on. Or I'd like to be able to go to my friends and say, yeah, today's a, a really rough day and, you know, I could I could use a little cheering up or I could use a little help. Yeah. And say and seeing that not as a weakness, but actually as a strength. That vulnerability facilitates these relationships and that is a strength. Mm -hmm. hmm. Interesting. So I, I know you gotta get going here, but I, I gotta ask about hope. So hope's bottomed out here, but I feel like if I took this test again, you say they shuffle around a little bit. L my apprehensions toward the love, maybe that would shuffle down some more and so on. And so on. But but hope is a weird one. Zest is like I'm not exactly like jazz to get out of bed every day, and I'm not like exactly like um, I, the the glass is not half full for me. I'm I swear to God I'm an optimist. I'm gonna there's the <laughs> Spanish love songs, fantastic fantastic sort of like post punk band. Uh, 10 out of 10 do recommend and they have a song called brave faces everyone from the album mm -hmm. brave faces everyone that came out in 2020 and uh there's a line where he's just he's just recounted just regaled you with all these horrible things in his life and in the world and the music all stops and he says i swear to god i'm an optimist and then like the music just starts <laughs> rocking out and i'm like that's how i feel because like i do see like a lot of positive like i don't think humans are like inherently horrible i think they're kind of inherently mm -hmm. a little bit self-preservational i think we've got some baser emotions that like override us in any given situation but for the most part like actually actively standing in front of a person face to face and them not just like doing harm to you but wanting to do harm to you for the sake of doing harm to you people aren't like that i i genuinely mm -hmm. believe that uh, there are a lot of things i believe that like I was talking to my friend who who is capital O optimistic about everything, and then we'd have conversations, and he has a lot less um, faith in humanity than I do. And I'm like, that's fucking weird, because you're the optimist. You're the positive glass half full, get out of bed, 
ready to go guy, and yet you think you know this is the darkest timeline. This is the worst case scenario. I look at it. I go. I can see a worst case scenario. So this isn't it. And since I can see a worst case scenario, and this isn't it, I can also imagine a better case scenario. And therefore, you know, like I, I have optimism regarding the world. You know, I watched the world band together in a once in a century global pandemic. Now I know we didn't fucking tens it and all the cards go the scorecards go off and we didn't stick the fucking landing. But like in a year we had a vaccine. A good vaccine. And distributed it pretty decently well. We could do better getting into the global south. Come on. Like that's where the viruses are mutating everybody. Sure. Like let's doctors like but like I mean just humanity's ability to band together in moments of like true duress is actually pretty impressive to me. You know, I was in Chicago, I was in New York city when those rolling blackouts came through right out, right off the back of nine 11. And I watched humanity without the bullshit, without the, the tyranny of the clock and the nine to five and without, and just like, not quite sure if it's another terror attack. And that's why all the things are down, but like, not hearing explosions or seeing pandemonium and just like kind of being like just being stripped away of everything and just being humans and watching the businessman in the the five thousand dollar suit lean on the cabbie's window and have a conversation i mean we're talking a wasp like you know like through and through leaning on a cabbie's window having a full-on human conversation in a city where fuck you have a nice day is their motto like i have some faith in humanity that maybe if you like, and when I look at this ho hope thing, I I can remember some of these hope questions and also go, yup, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, <laughs> so these are, there's like a weird disconnect here. Also, again, with my friend who is optimistic, I bet you his hope score is way higher than mine. Hmm. And one, so, so, so I guess I say all that to explain hope to me because I swear to God, I'm an optimist. <laughs> <laughs> But I think the analogy to uh, to punk music is great, though, because uh, one of my favorite bands is Motion City Soundtrack, and you'll never hear more upbeat music about crippling social anxiety. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's a, tell um, me, are you okay? Uh, these, uh, I uh, like, 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 uh, I like the thing when he goes through that. Like, he's got that great lilting rant where he's like talking to strangers waiting in line, or talking to strangers standing mm -hmm. in line. I like, I love that little flow he hits there. It's such a good tune. Go, sorry, go on. Yeah. So, or feels like rain we, is is an amazing, sad, happy, or I call it sad bastard mm. music. It's just a great sad <laughs> bastard song. Um, <laughs> God, God. So but I, I stand. Uh, I stand your band. That's it. That's what I'm no, saying here. I, I approve. Um, so one of the there's a a great distinction made in positive psychology between hopefulness and wishfulness. And I think this is an area where it's really helpful. Hopefulness is recognizing a better, brighter future and the practical steps that you can take to help you get there. Wishfulness is looking at your reality and saying, I want it to be different. And that's where it ends. So to be hopeful is to continue to embrace that ability to see the brighter future and then to add the practical element to it. Um, so let's take, for instance, uh, let, let's take coronavirus and dealing with coronavirus. 
Um, let's say you are someone who has not yet been vaccinated and you and you're open to the idea and now we're farther along you know there's plenty of information out there about the the pros the cons the risks that come with it uh, a hopeful future for the world is one in which uh you know coronavirus continues to decline we get or, or starts to decline um we get more and more people vaccinated to that 80 percent mark right like we like we're looking right. at 80 percent vax mark yeah yeah the hospitals are no longer stressed and to and while that might be the more global view on your personal level maybe that's you know the thing i can do is i can go get vaccinated or i can go get my booster or i'm already vaccinated and i have someone in my life who's on the fence and maybe i just keep having conversations with them about it i don't try to persuade them you know i don't go in being like i'm gonna i'm gonna get that son of a no no back backfire effect locks in and they and they and they entrench even deeper in their beliefs that's why you got to have conversations to understand not convince just talk to maybe that's my curiosity talk to people like don't try to debate people there your debates are for audiences debates are not for one-on-one interactions like they they you you will never debate anybody out of their position uh go on for sure and so and and you that can get far more personal too with all the ways coronavirus has impacted my life what does a, a more a brighter future for me look like well, maybe I start going out more, but I wear a mask. And maybe I start doing more of those things that I had pulled back from, but I take the steps I need to in order to feel safe doing it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe there are people in my life who I am comfortable with and I know have been safe, and maybe I try and do more things with them. And that gradually gets me to that brighter future of you know reclaiming, socializing. You know, this is why, you know, me and Christian and Kyle started doing our Pants to Glory uh, campaign. And we we knew we were all being safe. We knew we were all in a bubble so we could play Warhammer with one another. And what better way to encourage us to keep doing that and use the things we had than a Pants to Glory campaign? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wishfulness is saying, man, I wish this virus was over. Sucks that it's still going. That's the end. See, I feel like I'm more on the hope axiom than the wishful axiom. It like it, it, it like I don't I it's I, I reflect on some of the questions I was asked that I'm like that's that's gotta be a hope question or something like or maybe it was his ask question. I don't know. They they read a little bit similar. Mm-hmm. And and like I do think I'm a hopeful person, but I don't think I'm an overwhelmingly hopeful person. Because there's a mm-hmm. Like I, I can imagine a better future, and I personally, day to day, try to aspire toward it. But that's kind of the end of it, and I don't. Ex- again, I don't like. I don't get out of bed hoping for a better future. It's something I have to actively engage in. Mm-hmm. Like I have to. Like it's something I have to go theoretically, and I'm like, and then this is science. So then we, we now we're gonna run the experiment and get there. Like that's. I guess that's how my brain works with it. Like, like I don't, mm-hmm. like I don't know. It's it's so weird. Like I, I'm not I'm not surprised to see hope down here. I'm just like I'm having quantifying it with, uh, you know, the zest makes sense. I'm not you know, getting mm-hmm. out. Like, you know, the love makes sense. The self regulation. I'm impulsive AF. Um, <laughs> like it's it's a problem. Uh, <laughs> Like I do not self motivate, and I'm I'm an impulsive wreck. Uh, 
hopeful the hope being a, like it's just like i find that one interesting and gratitude is uh that one makes sense too like i don't let myself take a moment to like be grateful for shit or or be aware you know count my blessings like i'm not that guy either. that that feels smug and arrogant to count your blessings to me you got to you got to like you got to carry that weight you know like it, you don't you don't get to feel grateful like you can watch how awkward i get whenever i get like a big donation in in stream the, like it's there's a gratitude there there's a graciousness like i'm like i'm grateful but like i it's like this it it turns me inward like it like i can feel me go like i don't know how to process like good things yeah uh, so like it's not that i'm like not a grateful person like I, I i am but like i don't know how to process good stuff you know like it just it's it's that's mm -hmm. being aware and thankful for good things that happen taking time to express thanks like i i just there's something that disconnects between the good the good like recognizing the good thing has happened and expressing thanks and like i like I, i'm like thank you thank you but i don't know how to be thankful like it's it's really weird um they sure. these all make yeah. sense to be and, to be weaknesses or lesser uh, and yeah and and gratitude is a, another strength it actually is its own strength category but gratitude is another one that actually we see come up as one of the long-term uh, habits you can get into that does help with depression in particular because it recalibrates gratitude helps you to recognize the things in your life that are going well and are good and that are positive and it is very easy for us to lose sight of that because our brains instinctively as a survival mechanism give more weight to negative things yeah. and so if you're not actively engaging in some gratitude exercises or some ways to look at your life and look for the good it can be very easy to get mired in the negative mm -hmm. and so if you are not someone who inherently looks towards a hopeful and brighter future who feels they need to take more steps to protect themselves rather than to open themselves up um, who finds that there are maybe risks or blocks that come to having a great deal of of energy and enthusiasm that might lend you to other strengths that work in other ways, like being that might give you uh, the ability to step back dispassionately and evaluate and judge and to be able to uh, use critical thinking and reasoning. Mm -hmm. um, that might give you the ability to remain, you know, intellectually flexible, to be curious about different types of things. That might give you a position where you feel you can be more honest because you don't have quite as many attachments or you feel that you are you are able to talk about the bad as much as you're able to talk about the good yeah. and so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Um, no, it's, uh, I mean, this was this was like super illuminating for me to like go through this. And it, it's funny because some things I didn't have words for or some things that were um, like. I don't know, like, uh, like I said, creativity. I couldn't, I couldn't readily identify like the necessarily the creativity question because you, you know, it's like, uh, what Jedi are you? You know, like, there's that those all mm. these kinds of surveys are like interesting and fun to do, but nothing this backed up by like, you know, the heart, like doing science and and psychology and uh, putting in the time and 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 assessing all this stuff. Um, so it's like it, this appeased that little like uh, you know Facebook quiz part of my brain, but then also as like there was more substance to it, you know recognizing 
I mean, this isn't just like describing a thing and then me going, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I mean, it's 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 like my experience of of thirty six years of my life, especially with the core strengths. I'm like, uh huh, because overusing some of them or not fulfilling them, or or being in places where I wasn't fulfilled in those ways, um, like recognizing that having been sources of like great, you know, when I'm crushing it, I'm like all five are firing off or, you know, six or seven. Cause you know, a couple of them are, I think interchangeable or not interchangeable, but they, they jockey for position depending on whatever's going on that day. Right. Um, but watching like, you know, like when I'm crushing it, it all five are just firing, you know, when <laughs> I'm getting in my own way, <laughs> all five are, like, being overused or underused, and then those, like, sort of lesser values are kicking in, and I'm like, you know, like, when I'm getting, I, you know, there's that, that's happening. And very illuminating. Uh, the cracks early on about, like, the, the teamwork and how isolating I am and, like, cracking about teamwork, but then going on and once I re- saw love was in the bottom five and you contextualizing what love means going, oh, it's not even necessarily a teamwork thing. My, like, you know, connecting to people feeling vulnerable that back and forth that you need to develop with with people to be on those levels i'm like i just it's something i don't i don't do um like i i i i have a lot of friends i think like i've gotten better at it now and uh you know uh especially this community with with warhammer has given me a lot more like fulfilling relationships with people because i find that we find we have that one thing in common warhammer and then (laughs) Once we get past the Warhammer, there are people out there where I've got more than just Warhammer in common with, uh, and then I get a stronger bond with them, because it's not just, you know, we've got Warhammer in common, we've got, like, Warhammer and Mass Effect, you know, and, you know, we've got Mm -hmm. Warhammer and, like, an intellectual curiosity, so we can just have conversations all night, you know, like, things like that, Mm -hmm. where, like, now I feel like I have a stronger bond with this person, like, I want to talk to them more, not just about Warhammer, like, I've, I've built a lot better stronger healthier relationships because of warhammer you know um and i so i love this game for that but again like I, this this really like sort of contextualizing a lot of that f- for me in in a useful it's the the utility of it uh, the psychological utility of it all so uh i think this is a really great example of how when we think about this idea on the tin of of positive psychology and looking at these positive aspects, it can be so easy for us to dismiss it and say, oh, that's that's not that important, or that's fluff, or that's not that big of a deal. But then when we really drill down and look at some of these aspects, we see how quickly we could start to use these and apply these and how they might really help us, um, how they might be really crucial parts of our life that are not so easily dismissed. And that if we're engaged in and making good use of, that would feel pretty great. So uh, this is one of my favorite positive psychology exercises. So I'm glad that we got the chance to open it up to a broader audience. And I encourage people, go take the test. It's free and definitely give some thought to how this relates to your hobby. I'd say most, if not all of these strengths can then be Warhammer-ified in some way. <laughs> um, fantastic. Uh, any any final thoughts? Any any last things we missed? Uh, the, the last digital soapbox is yours. Um, um, I think we did a pretty good job. Oh, no, it's thorough. Um, thorough. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, what I would, what I would just remind people, you know, go, go take the test for free. You're not going to get quite as much info as we got today, unless you pay for it, but you will get the brief description. Um, and if you go on the website for the VIA Institute, they have a web page for every one of the character strengths with some more info. So, you know, if you get your top five and you want more than just the blurb, the website has a little bit more info. And if you really find it helpful, it might even be worth paying for. And that might be a way to, to give back to what is a, a really cool instrument. And check out their website. There's other cool things on there, too, that uh, that might be illuminating or might just give you even more information. So it's a it's a great and useful tool all the way around. Uh, so yeah, big Lebowski quotes, always applicable for every podcast I ever do. Uh, so yeah, that was, he's a good man and thorough. Um, uh, shout outs, like uh, you know, how do people like get a hold of you, uh, like on the internet if they wish to, if they want to maybe consume this this pants to glory I've heard about in some manner. <laughs> so if you want to touch base with me, uh, Twitter is probably the easiest way i'm at moderate pants uh because i am a card carrying member of the pants mafia um we do have a youtube channel that has some videos on it we've got our uh, pants to glory uh, path to glory campaigns on there um and then also some individual games that we've played here and there or uh, reviews of tournaments and most recently we did a, a review of our our pants con our own personal small tournament that we did which had a very interesting setup for this most recent one where you are randomly assigned an army um so if you want to learn more about PantsCon 2 and the army list that got submitted uh, you can go to our channel which is pants mafia aos you all there was also a really uh you know touching heart heartwarming moment with uh, christian where one of the the absolute i mean honestly the pants mafia themselves are probably a full-on half the reason i'm i'm in I'm a as active in the AOS community in the Midwest and the tournament scene as I am. Um, it was like a one, two, three punch. Like there's a combo of, of meeting all three mm -hmm. of you. And uh, it's just, if, if you encounter, yeah. So, uh, but with Christian Ware and uh, I'm not going to, is that, is that on the YouTube or was that just for, for the. Uh... I, I think it's just on Twitter. I think um, Tanya is editing it and putting it on YouTube at some point. But, all right. Right on. Um, but yes, our, our dear friend Christian, founding member of the Pants Mafia, is moving back to Australia, and, uh, and we will miss him dearly, but we gave him a great send-off. So yeah, um, by all means, feel free to join us on the uh, Pants Mafia AOS channel. We've got a bunch of videos on there, so uh, hopefully that will be enjoyable for those of you who, who want to see us suffer our way through meeting engagements, because <laughs> Christian decided we had to play them. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, no. All right, man. This has been a blast. Thank, thank you so much for, for joining me tonight. Uh, chat gang, you know this part. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, you are the show within the show, the reason I do this thing. Uh, great questions tonight, chat gang. I, I hope you got some, some utility out of this. I hope you, uh, you know, you're, you're uh, navigating your life, trying to find a, a way to, you know, uh, you know, find more fulfillment, more, more, uh, more positivity out there. Not, you know, in any dismissive manner, but, but sincerely, um, you are the reason I do this thing. Uh, you're the show within the show. Drink your milk, pay your taxes, be excellent to yourselves and each other. We'll catch you next time.